2: Welcome to Chapter Tactics. This is your 40k podcast that focuses on playing warmer 40k competitively at all levels of the game. I am your host, Mr. Petey Pob. And with me I have Peter the Falcon.
0: <coughs>
2: who was keeping an eye on the rest of the 40k world while myself and a few other members of our team, my team, 40k team, D, as we took on the SoCal team meta champion people basically a bunch of teams in the socal region we had a team tournament over the weekend and i brought two of my teammates onto the podcast so we could talk about all sorts of cool stuff brought mr trevor the mvp booth hello everybody and our coach jordan roman
1: good evening gentlemen
2: uh so uh we're gonna talk about the team tournament we're gonna talk about the Meta, the sna- a quick snapshot of what the meta looks like after this weekend, with Ultramarines and White Scars newly inducted into the meta. And uh, let me just tell you, it looks gruesome, but there might be hope. So we're going to talk about that. And then finally, we've got a cool special announcement. So we're going to talk team Tournament, meta, maybe a little bit how to beat Space Marines, uh, and then some more good stuff. should be a really good episode with a lot of fun stuff. If you've ever wondered what it was like to be on a 40k team, in a 40K team tournament, uh, this would be a five-person team tournament. This is the perfect episode for you. Uh, we've got stats. We've got a special spreadsheet with rankings and pairings and a lot more. So it should be a lot of fun. Also, if you're interested in what the meta looks like right now. All right. Before we move on, this episode is brought to you by the brand new Frontline Gaming Network. Well, I guess it's not brand new anymore, Peter. You no, guys, it's are, been you guys for... are almost two months of stats Center now. Maybe uh, three Three, yikes! Yeah, we started. Actually, we started back in May. So, however long that's been, Jesus, four months—that's crazy. That's, that's uh, it'll it'll roll by. You'll get to episode 100 before you know it, and then the next thing you know, Reese will be bugging you every minute until you record it and put it up. <laughs> it's nonstop. It happens. All right. Uh, so, brought to you by the Frontline Gaming Network. Frontline Gaming, and of course, was also brought to you you buy the amazing patrons over at our Patreon. Uh, Patrons get access to the Facebook group and Discord for $5 a month. You get access to that. And you get to ask us questions at the end of every episode and are eligible to win a special prize every month. This month, I haven't decided yet what it is. Uh, I was hoping that GW would give me a little bit more than just six Codex supplements or four Codex supplements. We need two more. Um, But it's probably going to have to be something to do with uh, what... But basically what GW releases new this month. However, if you've got suggestions, leave them in the comment section on YouTube, on uh, in the Ch- Chapter X Facebook group, whatever you want to see. Give him a if painted really like uh, Malakim
0: Faros or whatever his name is. Because I mean, Malacan literally Paris. 90% of players want him now.
2: So, Oh man, we'll see. <laughs> we, we, we already gave away a painted space remodel last last month. So maybe, maybe not a second one, but... <laughs> Anyways, leave those suggestions, and if you really like your suggestion, sign up for the Patreon, and then uh, maybe you'll get it. So, there you go. First off, special announcement. Uh, Mr. Brandon Grant, if you've heard of him, uh, he would be the most searched 40k named celebrity quote-unquote pro player in the 40k internet universe. Uh, Mr. Brand Grant is going to be joining Chapter Tactics as an official co-host. So he's going Woo! to be on the Chapter Tactics team. Uh, it is an announcement I've been wanting to make for years now. He's always been around. He's always been on the episode of the podcast a lot. Uh, and you know, I just figured we you know we have uh, we need more co-hosts. Uh, we're growing, and so I wanted to bring someone on who brought a lot of class and a lot of you know. Uh, Validity and tactical expertise to this podcast, and Brandon Grant was the perfect choice. So between him and Skari, uh we've got you know real, real star-studded MVP, uh, you know, and Val roster of uh, of good players <laughs> and Val and, and Val Val. Too. Val. He's so, okay. I mean I have to he got he the supremacy suit put him on the map. It, it did so <laughs> the boner. We'll see. He needs he needs more more wins in his belt, which I'm sure he'll be the first to say, but. Uh, I'm super excited to bring Brandon Grant onto the team next week. We'll have him on, and then um, we're going to probably pick a topic that he wants to talk about, and it should be very interesting to see what the robot wants to say. It'll be guard infantry. Guard infantry. The whole time. He'll talk about every single possible combination of guard infantry that you can build, and he'll just
3: it'll just be like you're listening to a spreadsheet.
1: I like, it. But you'll I enjoy would, it somehow. I would definitely tune into that. <laughs> the mileage <laughs> right you can
3: get from him are ridiculously good.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, the, the nuggets of information are gold. That's, all right. So, quick topic before we move on. Uh, I want to talk about some chess clock etiquette, guys. So, should we refine the rules for using chess clocks more? Uh, kind of like how chess works. And the, where this comes up is, real quick, uh, I there was a topic on the tournament organizers group for the ITC, and it was basically something along the lines of, what happens if someone puts out, asks a rule, what happens with the chess clock? Whose time gets burned on it? And then this weekend my opponent asked me, do you want it on the right side or the left side? And I was like, oh, like like a chess tournament? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, do I have to move the models, I the hand I use my models with, do I also have to hit that on the chess clock? And he's like, yeah, you have to, and we joked around for a little bit, some, some chess tournament stuff. If you've ever played any chess tournament stuff or anything about that, you'll, you'll get a little bit of that. But basically, um, you know chess clocks are becoming more and more of a norm uh if they are i've not already at almost every 40k event i've ever been to um you know and so is it about time that we maybe as a community got together and started talking about specific rules like whose time actually gets called when the rules dispute happens uh maybe we should get better chess clocks that record individual time instead of just blanket time like um like uh, chess clock. So there's a lot of interesting stuff there that we could dive into, but I wanted to get your kind of thoughts on it as for tournament, three other tournament players who have used the chess clock.
3: I'll go ahead first. Um, I think chess clock etiquette is very important. If uh, without it, you would have a bunch of uh, uh, players arguing back and forth on whose turn it was. I think it is good to have a spreadsheet or some sort of ruling that you can fall back on. If you do have any questions or comments on it. That way, there is less time wasted and more time playing. And if anything happens where there is a problem, you can always fall back to the judge.
0: I mean, I agree wholeheartedly. Um, I think we're at a point now um, where the chess clocks have proven their worth in most events, and um, it's it's just a matter of, like you said, refining it. Getting it to a point where we don't have these weird situations. Like, what seemed to, and I, I'm I'm not uh, talking from f- full knowledge yet, but I'm hoping to get the rest of it. Like, what happened at LGT Invitational on the weekend, um, where they won, uh, the f- semifinal game with Josh Death and Nick Notavati had to end because the venue was closing. And there was talk oh, that maybe man. the chess clock had been paused a couple times, and that was part of the reason <laughs> why they went over time. And, you know, as far as we know, you know, there are rules set for that. You shouldn't be ever pausing the chess clock without a judge saying so. But maybe firming up those rules, getting the, that spreadsheet out there. Um, I think that is is going to be big and making sure everybody's aware of how it works. Because it is still kind of in its infancy. You see it all the time at top tables where a player forgets to fl- flip over um etc and we i think we that's that is a big step something we really need to get uh, focused on is how do we refine everything and make everyone aware of how it actually works
3: it happens all the time where people forget to either hit the clock on the opponent's turn or they forget to hit the clock themselves and uh both players helping it uh, really makes a big big difference
1: yeah, it's just yeah. a lot to keep track of in a game. There's all kinds of other stuff going on. Mistakes happen. The rules just kind of clarify what should have happened so you can be gentle about it. And that's yeah. what it really comes down to is it's a gentleman's game. Just talk it out. Hmm.
2: Right on. All right. Uh, so speaking of the LGT, uh, which Mr. Peter brought up, how was it? Uh, how was the Twitch stream? I unfortunately was busy shouting across a room with a couple buddies, buddies, um, so I wasn't able to watch any of the stream for the invitational Uh, for the LGT. So how was the stream? Um, What were kind of your first impressions of the event? And then we'll talk about the meta. Um,
0: I think it went really, really well. Um, The stream itself uh, was excellent. I really think they went above and beyond this year. Um, They were focused on two tables at any given time, which was great. It allowed for... um, if one game was going really poorly or ended really quickly, we they could easily slide over to the other game, so you could see what was happening there. Kept people interested. The commentators were fine. I don't think they were like spectacular, but I mean they they had their moments for sure. Their their table boss was excellent. Uh, Tank Roberts, who was doing um, like field reporting, um, also great. Like I just felt like from a, at least from a. Um, from a streaming perspective, they, they hit all the right notes. Um, they used basically the exact same setup we used at Capital City Bloodbath in terms of cameras and quality. So there was uh, like like the... Um, you knew exactly what was happening all the time. It, they really, I think, knocked it out of the park in that regard. It was a beautiful stream done by Hellstorm and uh, The Honest Wargamer.
2: Yeah, and Honest War Gamer Rob is really making a name for himself as someone who knows how to put on a good stream. A good show. Um, I I love this. I love. I love that we have people like this, um, and people you know with professional setups, and uh, GW themselves stepping into the stream game and really stepping it up as well. Um, So that's a really great thing to hear. And maybe one day we'll even have all of them together one super major awesome invitational event.
0: Yeah, and I mean, like the Hellstorm guys were great. Um, It was. Uh, the commentating, like I said, maybe the weakest point, but not like by a m- large margin. It wasn't unlistenable or anything. The guys knew their stuff. Uh, like I said, their table boss was excellent, so you always knew what was happening. Um, I think that would just be the next step, and that's something that just would come with time with these guys, you know, doing it more often, essentially, um, because they they definitely hit their marks more than once. Um, the event itself, there were a couple little. Uh, things that I heard online that I saw personally that were a little iffy, but I mean nothing that you don't see at any major event. It's just I think that lgt was under a bigger microscope this year, given what happened last year. So there were so people were like chomping at the bit for anything to go wrong that could go wrong. Um, talking to a lot of the players there, as I've been trying to gather info for this week's stat center, everyone has basically said that it the event as a whole was amazing and uh, and. Uh, they would definitely go back next year. Nothing like how last year went. Lots of room. Um, the terrain was excellent. Um, the judges and TOs were all over the place and uh, were hitting their marks. Really, just a couple little gaffes, like I like would mentioned, the one with the uh, the semifinal where they ended up having to essentially cut for venue time, and uh, the, thus uh, Josh Death ended up beating Nick Natavati when it looked like Nick was going to win. And um, there was a bit of an issue with how they ruled Hills to work um, in their terrain. And that was
2: really it. Everything else seemed to go off without a hitch. Hmm. All right. So I'm so glad that the London GT definitely stepped up their game um, and made leaps and bounds improvements, especially compared to last year. So now that that's the case, good job, Zach and the LGT team. I just want to give a little bit of constructive feedback. First off, just make your event six rounds already. I don't care if you have to drive everyone to Warhammer World in a giant party bus and play the (laughs) sixth round there under Gilliman's eyes on the Rhino. Maybe that's where you have the final table on the giant ceramic Rhino or whatever, but get a sixth round going because 14 undefeated lists is not exactly the uh, makes for an amazing viewing and, uh, you know, uh, entertainment experience for consumption. Of the rest of us, so even though you lucked out, and all fourteen undefeated lists were really only two lists, still well, gotta three. get that six round. There three. three, three lists. There was one orc player. You're right. I apologize. Um, but uh, uh, and also, um, uh, the invitational being four rounds in one day. Uh, there were some com- some complaints that I heard there as well that w- that made it really rough. Um, in a four day, four days in one round of forty k is rough already. Um, especially in the invitational format, so um, you know Zach, I'm sure, has already heard all of these. So I'm kind of just messing him with a little bit more than actually, and actually griping about the event, especially because I didn't attend. Um, so you know, we'll we'll see where he takes the improvement there. Uh, but um, GW definitely, definitely is going to look at this and think, oh, well, they did a lot better. So he did what he needed to do. No, they did excellent. I and I 100%
0: agree. It needs to be more than five rounds. I would love to see them just do eight get rid of the the invitational aspect or do the invitationals differently. Um, I know that part of the problem they have is, is obviously the cost of getting a venue in, in or around the London area that'll hold that many people. Um, But I think they could do so much better um, if they just did an eight round event, like most other that are this size. So you get closer to a defined winner, right? So you don't end up with a guy who, you know, had five really good matchups, um in a 400 round in a 400 person tournament not as as hard to do as say in a you know a 40 person tournament um you know get the win um and then if you want to do an invitational hold it somewhere else like uh, the bad moon cafe they hold gt's all the time they sponsored this event um, I'm sure that uh, Boris or something could have fit the the invitational guys into that for an extra day of Warhammer if they needed to get that invitational out. Um, if money was an issue, I, I just think that the event itself is a bigger draw than any invitational is going to be until we get to a point where there's like a quote unquote actual professional warhammer, right Like that, where we have more than you know two or three
2: guys getting paid to play this game here's another suggestion for, for Nova and the LGT for, for, for tournaments that run the invitational events what if hear me out you get the final tables invite Pablo for again. both events invite me first off, that should be the number one thing you do <laughs> and after you send that email over to frontlandgamingpdpop at gmail.com you have both finals for both the open and the invitational happen at the same time and if the player on the finals of the Invitational also makes the finals of the Open, just give them the whole event as a win. Just say, okay, you won the event. You made the finals for the event. Or you could just have him play both of his opponents at the same time. I would Either way, I would well, like to see that. Um, Australia
0: does that. You know, they have their Masters event... I believe it's called, um, and they have a essentially a GT slash major that they hold mm. at the same time as an invitational, and the winner of the invitational ex- essentially is, is one of the people in the quote unquote finals for the uh, the major. Oh, the, I was and just he joking plays They actually. No, they do it, and it actually works out quite well. Uh, they did it Ooh. this last year. Um, the guy that won the Invitational basically got to play in the the quote-unquote finals against the the
2: winner of the, the Major. Um, and Does it that mean out that really he just well. skipped out on the Open? Like, he was just like, oh, I won my yeah, Invitational. Well, they they played, a, they played for... them at the same time. Oh, okay.
0: So they had an Invitational where they took, like, say their 16 best, or I believe it was 16 for this one. Um, and so the first four rounds uh, for these guys, they only played each other. Um, meanwhile, another fifty or some odd players played in an actual like five round GT or major, and then uh, the sixth round was the winner of both, essentially playing each
2: other for all the marbles, and it, it worked out really well. I I actually enjoyed that format. I, I would like cool. to see a format like that because it guarantees one uh, or uh, maybe if you maybe a hybrid of that format where you have like a top eight Sunday, but four players in the top eight are from your invitational and four players in your top eight are from your open. Um, yeah, something like really that is really hard to do if you've got, like, a, you know, an 800-person, you know, open or sure. something,
0: right? Sure. I don't know if LVO could do it, but these, like, a smaller 100-person event or something, not as big a deal. Anyway, just stuff to, to think about. Like, it has been done. Your idea is something that's been
2: done and and actually succeeded. So. Hmm. All right. Uh, so let's go ahead and talk about these these space marines and all our lists. And um, Peter, uh, to catch up Trevor and Jordan and the rest of the 40K community... Um, what did I mean when I said you know there were only three undefeated lists and uh, predominantly what were those what were the lists that were undefeated at the LGT? Sure. So the LGT uh, like this happened this weekend.
0: We've been talking a lot about it. 364 players, huge huge event. But they only did five rounds. So because of that, there were 14 lists that were undefeated. Um, I believe it was something like 12 that were five and zero, and there were or maybe it was ten five and zero, and there were four or five that were. Um, four oh and one at the event um of those of those lists four of them were mono faction space marines um four of them were eldar um most i think believe three were straight up just eldar flyer spam one was more of a mixed eldar list um there was one orc player and i believe there was uh four imperial knights maybe five like
3: space marines what uh what chapter tactic did they take
0: um, it was a mix. There, most of them, I would say, were white scars, and I believe there were a couple. Uh, there was one ultramarine, if I do remember correctly,
3: that were in the five zero category. And we're gonna see a lot of uh, white scars and ultramarines coming up, yes. as well as uh, iron hands. Yes, I'm expecting lots and lots of iron hands.
0: Yeah, no, Iron Hands is going to be uh, ridiculous. Uh, so at LGT, there were 30, I believe, 37 Monofaction Space Marine players. I haven't finished my stats for LGT. It takes a while with that many players. But um, so 37, over 10% of the players at the event ran Monofaction Space Marines, which is well more than double what we were seeing uh, prior to the Space Marine Codex release. Of those, 12 of them went for one or better. Um, the numbers are really good for Marines um, at this event and at other events. Uh, this last weekend, China had their first uh, GT and it was won by an Ultramarines player. Um, Malaysia had, a, they, I believe, their second GT and it was won by a guy that was running, I think half his list was White Scars and half was uh, Admech. Um, the only mm-hmm. event I think this week that wasn't won by Space Marines or had like a bunch of top uh, Space Marine performers was Attack X. So, like, they're
2: everywhere. Yeah, as as we kind of predicted. Uh, Trevor Jordan. Um, so there were definitely Space Marine players. I think every team had a Space Marine player. Actually, when I, when I was looking back at the pairings, all but um,
1: one, the SoCal Kings were the only one that didn't.
2: Oh, right. The yeah, the the team to be they didn't need a space. And to be fair, they probably built their team way before the Space Marine Codex even started yeah. because they they were they were while we were all still trying to figure out if we were going to go to the tournament, they had already you know, fresh from the ATC, figured out their team for this event and started practicing all their lists, um, which is probably why they performed so well. Uh, but uh, what did you guys kind of, did, did you see the Space Marine list at the team tournament kind of mirror what Peter said, Jordan and Trevor?
3: Um, no, there was a lot less uh, White Scars. Uh, he said there was more than White Scars than there was Ultramarines. I saw more Ultramarines than White Scars in this tournament, I believe.
1: Yeah, a lot of ultramarines. Only saw the one white scar player,
3: and then we had uh, one dark angels player as well. All right. So, well, um,
2: uh, Peter, why don't you tell us about the uh, orc list?
0: Okay. Yes, there was one orc list that made that uh, went undefeated. Uh, Martin Butch's uh, Death Skulls list. And it's kind of uh, what you would call like, your kind of cookie cutter orc list for these days. Uh, Death Skulls for the Dreadwog. Uh, uh, Super Shooter, the shock attack gun. Uh, a bunch of boys. 60 boys. Uh, 90 or so Gretchen in the list. Uh, 8 mech guns. Uh, I think the real only big thing for his list that was a little different than the norm is he ran a um, gorkonaut, which you usually only see in like the ben Jurek, uh Freebooter style lists. But he
3: he brought it as part of his uh, Death Skulls Brigade. Now correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought there was a player that took two of them at the team tournament.
2: Uh, I definitely saw one at the team tournament. I know uh, Nick that was when Nick played round one, but I don't know if he had two.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I don't remember.
2: Yeah.
0: Anyway, it's um, like the Gorkanauts definitely been seen at events uh, that that kind of quote unquote Benjeric list that's uh, mostly freebooters will run one, sometimes two Gorkonauts. Um So that's real. But uh, running it out of death skulls is uh, something that's a little unique, at least for a
2: competitive list. Yeah. But other than that, um, like I said, kind of more your standard stuff you see. Okay. Do now, Peter. Uh, uh, once you sift through all the Eldar flyers and Space Marine lists. Um, are there were there any lists that maybe popped out to you that looked like they were performing really well against Space Marines that aren't that weren't Space Marines? Um, that I haven't been able to fully deep dive into yet. I will
0: say that the Eldar flyer lists were doing well against what the Space Marines that had been brought, um, and in talking <laughs> to a few people, both at this event and at others, um, they were they spoke a lot about how they felt like their Eldar flyer lists. Um, really had an advantage against the Ultramarine and White Scars lists that they expected to see, um, like Crimson Hunters and razor Wing Jet Fighters. They delete regular Space Marine bodies like nobody's business.
2: Yeah, yeah, and and that's that's an interesting matchup there too. Because when Iron Hands come out, um, that's going to be a completely different list kind of style list that that they have to kind of plan for. Yeah, uh, and all of uh, a sudden... Iron Hands kick the crap out of your standard um exactly yeah you, you've got all the dreadnought character world dreadnought options available to you in durability um iron hands can also still put out a decent horde matchup with overwatch, good overwatching and aggressors that you can hide inside repulsors um and there's a stormhawks as iron hands are absolutely amazing
0: because they yeah. They the one thing that keeps Stormhawks down is the fact they don't have power in the Machine Spirit. This gives it to them, so they're hitting most Eldar Flyers on threes, um, and the Elder Flyers are hitting them back on fives in most cases. They just put out a ton of damage, eighteen shots right against a flyer. So it's uh, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see where the meta goes once this uh, Iron Hands and Raven Guard supplement drop. Um, Raven guard have a lot of tricks. I don't think they're anywhere near as like blatantly powerful as iron hands are though. Well, but you know, time will tell.
2: Yeah. And, and so it was interesting cause, uh, uh, I've heard, I've talked to a few really high level players about iron hands and, um, not Raven guard so much. No one, no one's really talking about Raven guard though. They will be talking when, when, um, you know, people start to use them more, but, uh, you know, one player, Brandon Grant. Um, was talking about how the Iron Hands list, or the quote-unquote Iron Hands list, um, is going to be really toxic and really, really hard to deal with. Um, And I agreed to him with an extent, right? And so he was basically talking about a list that had some mix of a couple characters with, of course, Pharos, three Repulsor Executioners, um, maybe some Aggressors in the Repulsor Executioners, and that was basically your list, and the Stormhawk Interceptors. So it's kind of like a standard Iron Hands gun gun line with really, really hard-to-kill Executioners, can kill anything in the game. It's really bad, and it, it does look like a really tough list. No, I'm the expecting it. Flips... To...
3: Go ahead, Trevor. I'm expecting to see a lot of aggressors. They're yes. just really good for their points.
2: They're so good. We'll talk more about the team tournament because I, I only took two units of three um, because I, I I looked at their firepower and thought that was all I needed, um, and it was all, what I, all I needed for the team tournament, but I wish I had more, every, even like one more model. I, I wish I would have had because one more model would have made so much more difference. Yeah, those but, boys um, did some work. Oh, yeah. They were they were doing all sorts of work. But, uh, you know, I was talking to another really good player out here called uh, James Carmona and he's playing Chaos and he and Kenny Boucher um are even though in general i get the feeling from the chaos 40k community that chaos is kind of down especially with jim vessel moving away from chaos and a cover like don huson going on record on facebook and saying that chaos are definitely underpowered and and i'm not going to say that chaos are better than space Marines. let's let's be real here you know they they're not space Marines are the best faction in the game right now it's just, just the way it is um uh but You know, Kenny and James were kind of really optimistic about the Chaos faction. I was talking to Kenny at the team tournament, and I was talking to James this morning, and they both, you know, basically said that Chaos Space Marines and Chaos Demons and some flavor of Chaos have a lot of play against Space Marines, and that's true. Space Marines are still very, very hard, or very, very easy to kill. Um, Even the Executioners in the Dreadnought list, uh, they have counterplay that Chaos has. Right. So for the executioner list, Kiosk has the tools to kill executioners just flat out. Just like I can kill this thing, I can kill this thing. Uh no big deal. Um with alpha striking between like obliterators uh, and tight knights and just whatever. Right? They have the ability, they have the tools to kill executioners. Um, and on the flip side, if Ironhand start to go towards the dreadnought build, the dreadnought build is good. It's more durable than the executioner build. However, uh, Dreadnoughts are susceptible to being tied up and Chaos are one of the best armies at going in there and tying you up. Um, they might not survive it doing it, but uh, they can go in there and do it, and especially going into Space Marines, they can do that too. So it was just really interesting to hear two you know, top Chaos players talk about that Space Marine matchup. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how the kind of rock, paper, scissors, ebb and flow of, of what people bring is going to shake out.
0: So. Yeah, and that's my favorite part about like meta-defining uh, books that come out like this. Like we saw with Imperial Knights a year ago when it came out, uh, like the whole meta changed multiple times, specifically around that codex. Um, we saw it to a smaller degree with Trukari. Um, Orcs, when it came out, everybody was like, I need to figure out how to deal with Hordes again. Um, it's just been, it's it's always cool. I'm a little worried about this particular release, and, uh, but we'll see. Uh, I always hold out hope. We'll see what the numbers say. But
2: yeah. Alright. So, Jordan, you play Eldar, and you refuse to play Eldar Flyers. Yep. So as an Eldar player, looking at all those Space Marine lists and all these top lists uh, from the team tournament and just in general, uh, where do you think the faction goes if Eldar Flyers get nerfed? Oh boy. <laughs> You you are uh, there. Are, that pressure that you feel on your shoulders is thousands of Eldar players listening to every word you're saying.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a tough one because I've been struggling with it too. Uh, I've been I've been hurting in the local meta here, and um, I haven't played in probably a month and a half, uh, partly because of that. But I think the best answer we have right now are Dark Reapers. I know they're a lot weaker than they were with the Yanari, but there's still a great answer to a lot of things that are out there. You just Keep them safe, get some good screens out. Guardians are still a, a great way to uh, push stuff off you, and the damage output is good against all those uh, two Wound Primaris models that are sitting out there.
3: Screens are going to be really important for Eldar. Uh, with the so much outflanking and scout movements, it's going to be really easy for Space Marine players to touch Eldar.
2: Don't b- break them down, Trevor. <laughs> <We're sorry. laughs> um you know, I agree with you, Jordan. Uh I, I think every codex has a lot more play against Space Marines um than the let on and, and we're gonna see I see this in every single game I've ever played. The new thing that comes out always gets lauded as OP is a soup unless it's really bad. But like obviously bad, but always gets lauded as this OP thing that no one can deal with, whether it's League of Legends with a new champion, uh, you know, Pokemon with a new addition, and new, new Pokemon legendaries, and like, you know, magic, 40k, you name it. Every time there's a new thing that comes out, and in any competitive sense, people will complain about it when it's out, because it always looks like the first weeks, it always looks like the sky is falling.
1: It's new, and it's scary, and you don't know what to do until you give it a couple tries.
2: Exactly. So, we'll see where the Space Marines shake out. Um, I, I do think, with the exception of a few of the underpowered Space Marines, like Grey Knights and stuff, although there is one particularly... Um, you know, Ash Ketchum loudmouthed individual of uh, Grey Knight players um, who, who really, really bangs that drum. Um, you know, I do think that some of those underpowered power armor factions will have a lot of trouble um, because all of a sudden everyone's going to be gunning for space Marines and those poor factions aren't going to be space Marines, but they're going to look a lot like space Marines yeah. to everyone else. Yeah, so, except <laughs> they have worse Primarchs. Except Particularly they have, yeah, one except of they have them. worse yeah. or no Primarchs, right? Or no Primarchs. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh yeah. yeah. So, having a
0: nap in particular is just awful. I'm just waiting for mine to wake up. <laughs> just um, he's having a good nap, right? He read a really sad newspaper and was like, I'm gonna just relax, have a nap until whenever the next heresy happens. That's my assumption. Yeah.
2: Um he's waiting for the Emperor to be reborn so he can abandon abandon him again when he gets sieged on Terra.
0: Oh yeah. I'm gonna Ooh. go burn down everybody else's planet. I'll i I'll be back later.
2: Uh, but um, yeah, so and that—that's another thing too. Dark Angels, Space Wolves, Grey Knights, players—you did get a buff, but uh, the rest of the community is going to be gunning for things that look like you,
0: right? Mm, yeah. Other Space
2: Marines. Um, and I don't know if the buff was worth it. The more things come
0: out, the more you look at yes. them and be like, "This is just right. you know Blood Angels, but better in almost every way." Or yeah,
2: Space yeah, so, Wolves. Yeah, so we'll see. Um, but other than other than that, I think a lot. I think every army has play. Um, against Space Marines, and Admech in particular look like really, really good against Space Marines. Um, I do well. think you're right there.
0: I think, well, not all... Uh, it really is going to depend on what builds come to the forefront. I think Admech are really good
3: against today's Space Marines. Right. Um, they can issue a-, a lot of mortal wounds on somebody, and then you know, the Space Marine, at best, can get a 5-up, uh, feel no pain.
0: Yeah. And it's just a matter of... I think then, in those matchups, it's a matter of who goes first, um, I know that uh, Rob Porter, for example, has been testing out against the quote-unquote Iron Hands lists right now a couple variations of it, and that's where his struggle is, is if he doesn't go first, he feels, with most of the lists he's making to be anti-Marines, he just gets wiped because he can't set up his, his like robot bombs or his hoplite uh, interceptions um, in time, and they just like wipe them off the board. So it's like it's. Uh, I'm really. I'm always excited, but this
2: this time I'm a little trepidatious about where we're headed. We'll hmm. see. We'll see. All right. Any other interesting stuff that happened this weekend, Peter? I got a new dog. His name's Bronx. He's super he's cute. A, he's a very cute little
0: bulldog. Um, but from a uh, competitive standpoint. Um, I think, uh, well, I think we just have to wait for Stat center. I'm waiting on a bunch of uh, clips from people to see what all the new hot goss is about what happened at the events. Uh, like I said, London GT went off amazing. I hear only good things about attack X, Alex McDougal, uh, finally won again, uh, brought his Gene to the cults and nids out. So good on him for getting another, uh, like result for the hive mind here before the Marines take over everything. Um, and I mean, having GTs happen on the other side of the planet in uh, China and Malaysia is super exciting, and I cannot wait to hear more from them
2: about how like they're they're doing their stuff. And I am always shocked when I see like I, I guess I shouldn't be, but I'm always shocked when I see GTs like that, like like the South African GT in, in China and Malaysia. Not that it, they're happening over there, like that's really cool. It's not shocking to me. What's shocking to me is how good of lists. Uh, like appear at those at those smaller you know more secluded areas like the the Chinese was that the Shanghai Showdown? Uh, no that was yeah, the that I'm was joking. the previous one <laughs> was, that's for Tom Gilbert uh, yeah, I'm well, just going to call all of them the Shanghai Showdown you should it was the East China Open this time the East so. China Open okay so they had like 32 players uh, Um, the winner of that list was running Ultramarines and um, from what I understood was running a similar kind of Ultramarines list to everyone else
0: yeah he was running um, I think it was like a a dreadnought heavy one was hmm. was what he went with uh, with a couple of contemptors and uh, relic derideos. So he was and... running an iron hands. He was running also. like iron hands ultramarines. Yeah, yeah. Just waiting for iron hands to come out. Well, I think this list is terrifying as iron hands, yeah. but it's it's scary enough as ultramarines, uh, just with uh, their their like uh, movement capabilities and the ability to swap
2: between doctrines so quickly. Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. But but uh, like the GT in Hawaii I tended to do earlier this year. Uh, one of the the first gentlemen I played was literally just running Jeff's B.A.O. list. And I looked at it and I was like, this is, you know, these, this guy flew in from like in a remote island and he told me he gets to play like 40k like once a year. And, he, you know, he's got this really competitive Forge World list. And so, no, it's just really great. It's really great to see that people are tuning in with the meta. And um, that wouldn't be possible without all the competitive 40k podcasts and, you know, the community working together to get these lists out there to people. So it's really That's good. That's for show. Sure. All right, let's talk team tournament stuff. Jordan and Trevor, are you ready? Sure, hope so. <laughs> yes. So, so the team tournament was the California team championships. Uh, I, I'm a, I've already butchered that name. I know it. It was the uh, Dice, Dice Hammer team tournament. Dice Hammer team. There was California in there. There was a C in there somewhere. Dice Hammer Cal. Anyways. So there, there's an event that happened this weekend uh, in Southern California, run by Dice Hammer, the guys over in like Forest, California. It was a really great event. Uh, it was held in a bowling alley, um, you, but you really didn't feel it because the the venue was off in like a room in the bowling alley that they used like as a hall. Um, so it wasn't like people were bowling right next to us. Um, so it, you know it was, re- it was really really intimate. Uh, it was a good venue, a lot of space, tons of water. Um, It was just a great event. I was very happy and pleased with the event. Train was really good. Um, They prized to the top three. Not much you could do, not much you could say about it, other than it was a good event. Um, So, the team tournament format was they were using the ATC team format rules, uh, with the exception of instead of a 21 point differential for a tie, uh, and for those of you who are unfamiliar, Uh, the way a team tournament works is you get a team of five players in this case, and you pair them against a team, another team of five players. And I'll explain more about how the pairings process works later, because it is really important and it's instrumental to how we looked at the team event as a team. Um, so you pair, you pair up and then you take everyone's scores, uh, wins and losses do matter if for example if if a team gets four wins against another team they just win the whole thing no matter what the point differential is however um that that doesn't happen super often uh and the more common outcome is is one team goes three and two and then uh, you go to point differential so uh, you add up the total points of all games played and then you get a point differential scored between the whole teams and if if you score if the differential is less than 15 points it's considered a tie and not a win, right? So if our team gets one hundred and sixty-five points and the enemy team, even though they got less points than us, gets one hundred and fifty-five points, uh, we only won by a ten-point differential. So that game would actually be a tie for that round, and not a win for us, uh, unless we beat four of their members, um, which actually happened in our final round. Uh, so we, we got we got the we I think if we'd gotten one point less and if we'd
3: not won one game, we probably would have tied Jordan.
1: Yep. Yeah, it was a close one.
3: It's also important to note that uh, each te- uh, team has a, has to have a unique faction. You cannot share the same factions.
2: Yeah, so w- when you're building your team, thank you, Trevor. So when you're building your team, every player has to have a different faction. That no one can share factions. And in this tournament in particular, you couldn't have two Imperial Knights players, one Chaos and one Imperium, uh, in your in your team at all. So there could only be one Knight's player, period. They just had to choose whether they wanted to be uh, Chaos or Imperium. uh, Which I actually really liked. uh, Because, you know, you would have had in a five-person team tournament, you would have just had two Knight's players. Right? Because Knights are really good, especially in team tournaments. Every team had at least one Knight. Or one Knight player. Yeah. Yeah, so um, yeah, I'm really glad they added that. Uh, Although that might be an ATC restriction, too. I'm not sure. But I'm really glad that that rules in there. Uh, And then uh, that's it you play out you play it out it happens like a normal tournament you get swiss pairings uh at the end of the day someone wins and uh everyone has a good time um so that's it uh our team i, I was really happy with the way our team kind of got put together uh because it was it was kind of just whoever could come to this team tournament uh they sent me an invite to the team tournament um and so i kind of put out feelers to real SD. And a lot of the players weren't at first weren't going to join in, but we got Trevor, we got Trevor, Nick, Keith, and, and Nikhil all ended up going. And then we had one member who unfortunately couldn't make it to the team tournament, uh, and that was Lucas. But half, you know, a lot of our team RLSD, uh, they're all gone. So they're you know they're not they're in, uh, different parts of the country, and so um, at first I was a little worried that we wouldn't get a team together. Um, and then if we could get a team together, it would be limited in factions but we definitely managed to make it work, and I was very happy with the way our team composition turned out. So uh, to briefly kind of recap what our team was, uh, there was myself. I was running a, an Ultramarines horde killing list because we expected a lot of hordes in, in this team tournament. Um, you know, it was just at the time when we started building lists, there was just a lot of, it was a more of a horde meta. Uh, we didn't know about Space Marines at the time, and uh, I, even though I knew about Space Marines... Um, when I was building the list, uh, I didn't, I didn't know like, like enough to to whether gauge what their effect on the meta would be. Um, so I kind of just built a space marine list off of, off of what I kind of knew and what I kind of liked, um, and I knew I'd be running all no matter what. And then the space marine codex got dropped, and then that was when I really started, you know, fine tuning it. Um, uh, so I was running a space marine anti horde list uh, with uh, two or one uh, two regular Whirlwinds that are garbage, don't run them, they're bad, I gave up on them. A uh, Thunderfire Cannon, two units of Aggressors, a big unit of Intercessors, a big unit of Scout, or biggest unit of Scout Bikers, um, and then a whole bunch of characters to kind of de- blend everything together. Um, and it turned out to be a, a really solid list that could really perform really well. Uh, the Whirlwind Scorpius is is the one thing that I want to point to every Space Marine player and say, if you can fit it, take it. Uh, just giving the Whirlwind Scorpius the ability to get plus one to hit with a chaplain, and then having it shoot twice into things—that's really good against space marines. It's really good against a lot of different things. Uh, and in my case, even though I was built to kill hordes, um, the whirlwind Scorpius with the seal of oath, ultramarines relic was it was gave me the ability to kill one big thing, like a knight a turn or or an Orion gunship or just one thing that my army would normally kill because I don't have anything above strength six in my list. Just a whole lot of light shooting. Um, and so that, that ended up surprising a lot of my opponents and gave me a lot of advantage in my matchups, which I'll explain later. And then Trevor, I'll let you talk, tell everyone about your list.
3: Okay, my list was a uh, triple Caladius list of Grav Tanks. I, um, I ran a Custodes, Imperial Guard, and also a Knight. Uh, it was a Crest Knight. With a Gatling cannon and a rapid battle cannon, I took a Icarus auto cannon as like a, something to kind of be able to deal with flyers. It did help out a lot of in a lot of my matchups I actually took the relic once as well. Um, it really threw everybody off as it could do more and more shots and more damage. Uh, right really on. paid off It really paid off on on two of my matches yep. um, and,
2: and uh, a quick quick note here. Uh, the cutoff date was the day after the Custode's tank got nerfed. So <laughs> Trevor unfortunately in the final hour had to shave points um and and kinda redo his list a little bit and then his list wasn't gonna work as we thought it would, uh, because the Custode's FAQ nerf got came out like literally the day before the cutoff day. It might have even happened the same day. Like it was really it was really close and a little inconvenient.
3: Yeah, we were planning on pairing me against Knights and really heavy-hitting uh, tanks. We still ended up doing that, uh, but it, the efficiency of it went down a little bit. I was still able to uh, be very effective against them, but my killing power dropped significantly.
2: Hmm. Uh, and then uh, Mr. Nick Hodson on our team was running uh, basically Jim Vessel's old style list that he, he was dominating with. Um, uh, it was the, the 60 plague bears Unit of Bloodletters, uh, pink horrors, bunch of demon princes, no dreadnought I, was, I, had to be, I think it was pure chaos demons I don't I think so I That's think it correct. Was, yes, it's pure chaos demons um, so it was just very much a gym vessel horde style chaos list uh, that we ran into uh, lists as kind of like a, a first defender or take all comers list um, and a list that could go into specific matchups like knights or vehicles and do really well in that too with the horde Uh, And then we had uh, Mr. Keith Barry, uh, our Dark Eldar player. He was running a Venom spam list with three Razor Wing Jet Fighters. um, And then basically just Venoms. And uh, nothing much in there to it. Uh, Jordan, I'll let you explain Nikhil's list because I don't speak Eldar.
1: Yeah, Nikhil had a really interesting list um, skewed heavily towards killing armor. So triple Fire Prism uh, and then nine um, Vibro Cannons with uh, an Altark, uh, Warlock, and... Uh, Farseer to support them. A couple Storm Guardians just to help screen stuff, and two Wave Serpents for screens. But really, just lots of long-range firepower.
2: Yeah, and, and his was an interesting list, because uh, when when Nikhil said, when we asked Nikhil to play Eldar, uh, originally, we wanted him to play, or we thought we were just going to play Eldar Flyers, um, but he didn't really own the models to play an Eldar Flyers list, and so he kind of presented this uh, unique Eldar list, and we were, at the time when we were deciding our lists, uh, we were really in need of some help Uh, in the anti-vehicle department we needed a second list to deal with knights uh you know or deal with other big vehicle lists and so nico kind of presented this list to us and uh it was it was uh, unorthodox and it didn't work as always as intended um unfortunately but uh ended up working out well enough for us to you know go three one and one and tie for first place and then finally uh no actually that was all the lists You forgot about our coach. Oh, and then finally, of course, uh, Mr. Jordan himself. uh, Jordan was uh, our alternate, and originally there were actually no coach rules in this tournament, um, though enough people reached out to the TO to ask if we could bring a coach uh, or if the alternate could be the coach. Uh, And so uh, coaches were allowed, and Jordan was absolutely critical. If you listen to last year's chapter, Tactics, on the ETC, so not this year's ETC, but last year's ETC chapter tactics. Uh, when Sean Naden came on and uh, they talked about, uh, they talked about um, uh, who was their coach last year? I, I, I he's a really great guy. Blanking on his name. Uh, he played the triple. Peter, help me out. Tri- triple uh, monolith. Uh, Sorry, you're talking about the USA coach from last the year. The USA ETC coach last year. I don't remember. Oh my gosh! I <laughs> I, I, he knows no he I know who team. he is. No one remembers that team. Oh, Bromowitz? Not a That was this year's coach. That was this year's okay. la- last year's coach. Although Obramowitz did a really good job this year too. So uh, we'll we'll just we'll just use him. Um. So uh, Jordan Jordan did a very similar role. He he made sure everyone was well hydrated. He, you know, he are you told talking about to- Werner Born? Werner Born. There we go. I can't Werner. I'm so sorry. I knew your name. I kept picturing your your face and your. Blue suit, you know, with he the, with the red He does have a beautiful tie. face.
0: I could see how you'd forget his uh, name.
2: Yeah, it, it was, I, just got, I just got starstruck. You get lost and, in his and eyes. And lost. And easily. it was just like, I Warner, didn't I'm so sorry. <laughs> so, anyways.
0: Much like I get lost in your hair,
2: but yeah, for other uh, reasons. But a different reason. a lot of it. <laughs> uh, so, anyways, so if you listen to that podcast in particular, because they do a really good job of explaining of, of how good, how, how important the coach is. Position is for a team tournament. Uh, Jordan checked all those boxes. He made sure everyone was on top of it. He submitted results when we needed to. There was one point guess uh, he and I were kind of in charge of the pairings, um, but there was one point when I was more focused on my matchup uh, and getting that ready instead of pairing. So I had to come back and I was like, "Oh shit!" have the pairings, and Jordan just looked at me and said, "Pablo, I got this. Just go, go do your table, and do your thing." Uh, and I was like, "Okay, cool." And so you know, uh, Jordan Trevor was our our player MVP, but Jordan was the real MVP um at the event uh jordan thank you ha- hands down Thanks, man. I appreciate MVP. It.
0: the coach yeah, is it just so fun. critical in team events like so critical the because it's all about information right and and passing information between you know five six seven people all at once and they need to, to like so have you have to rely so heavily on them to to keep up to date with what's happening on every other table with, with what's what with what your plan is going to be right um so having an a good coach that's there for you constantly able to get those updates quick and fast um like that's what makes or breaks most teams
3: it's not just the quality of player jordan do you want to tell them exactly kind of what uh you did for us and how you put everything together
1: yeah absolutely so uh, the rules for the coach is I can't actually talk strategy with the players. I can't tell them what to do or or give them actual advice. I can only tell them how the rest of the team is doing and what we expect from them. So what I need their score to be if I, you know, I know you're going to lose, but I need you to lose by less than ten points. That kind of stuff. Um, and then also setting up the pairings. So there's a draft that happens before every match where we do uh, we submit an attacker and defenders and we kind of go back and forth. Uh, matching up our players against their players and so before we ever got to the tournament all of our guys went through and ranked all the other teams and said i'm going to be good against this player i'm gonna be bad against this player i'm a coin flip against this player and so i did what i always do when i have a question to get answered i put in the spreadsheet um, so i actually went through and saw that there's only 120 permutations of five different players paired against each other which is pretty easy to map out so putting in all the ranks that my players had you can optimize in uh, in uh, google sheets what the best matchup is what's our what's our maximum so i did all that work ahead of time and then upon getting to the event realized that that doesn't actually matter and so that was the really interesting part about going through the draft in person is your optimal matchup is never going to happen as soon as you get in and actually start drafting um, it all falls apart and so that was a really fun learning experience um, but hearing who's going to be good against what, um, and 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 that perspective from each player was was a really great experience for me as someone that has only played Eldar. So being a coach was a very satisfying experience in that regard because I learned a whole bunch about the game.
2: Yeah, and, and um, it, you know, I, I knew that just judging from what I heard from the EDCM, I knew that having a coach would be beneficial. Um, however, I didn't realize how beneficial it would actually be. Um, and so if you uh, go to a team tournament, all I say is Jordan pretty much said everything about it. Um, uh, but if you go to team tournament, just make sure you get a coach if you can, if, if you have a sixth person. Uh, and there was uh, a couple teams at ATC who um, I think probably could have been broken down. And because uh, what I'm talking about is when a, a team brings multiple teams to an event. Uh, for example, Hammerhead games brought two teams to this team tournament. Um, So, uh, you know, if you maybe if you have a larger team like that and you're listening to this podcast, maybe instead of trying to force a third team um, with three players and trying to find two alternates, maybe those players can break down, uh, break that team down. You can go and play play coaches instead with those three players or you can shuffle everything around some food for thought. Uh, So I want to talk about the pairing process, uh, Jordan, because um, I think this is what people are going to be mostly interested in. And so we, we had our we had our teams listings. We had uh, each team paired uh, and put onto the spreadsheet, and uh, each uh, player on each enemy team or opponent team was ranked uh, by every one of our players uh, based on how much we wanted to play them. Uh, and this was a very rudimentary kind of way to do it. There, etc. Uh, the USA etc. Team gets a lot more involved with the spreadsheet and with this pairings, um, but. You know, we we didn't have a lot of time, and you just showed me the spreadsheet like literally the night before, like an I hour made it before the night I was before. To sleep. Like it was just like we got to the Airbnb, you showed me the spreadsheet, and then I had to go to sleep in like thirty minutes because we were waking up, yeah. you know, early in the morning, <laughs> and you fell asleep in two, didn't you? Oh, did. I, I
0: yeah, <laughs> I, I fell asleep. Some people asleep in beds. I'm sure, listeners, you <laughs> have to realize Pablo can fall asleep as soon as his eyes are closed. I've seen him blink and fall asleep. The man is a monster.
1: It's an impressive skill. And you know he's asleep because he's snoring.
0: You you will hear him in other cities. Like it's amazing. Uh, any- <laughs> His mutant power, like he got low on the list of mutant powers but still. What's a like, mutant power? It's it's, it's uh, 100% has to be I have or you the need to sonic, see a doctor. Sonic I'm breath.
1: still jealous.
2: <laughs> Anyways, um so the we went into this and so now I want to talk about our individual pairings. Specifically for the first uh, pairing, because this was the one that, that um, we were kind of you know getting warm on the pairings and we were trying to figure it out. Because I felt like even though we lost to the SoCal Kings, uh, we definitely got into a rhythm with pairings at the event and um, mm. it worked out really well for us. We were doing a really good job. But this first game, we, we didn't hit that rhythm yet. <clears throat> so this was against Dice Hammer Games. And uh, Dicehammer had a really solid team. Uh, they had an Eldar Flyers player, uh, a Custodes kind of um, a triple Caladius, pure Custodes player with like a, a big unit of uh, Wardens. Um, they had a Col- an Admech player with three uh, Scorpius Disintegrator transport tanks, three Honor Dune Crawlers, call and a bunch of Electro priests in, in transport vehicles and uh, snipers and stuff. Uh, they had a Space Marine player um, who was running White Scars. So he was kind of running a uh, uh, White Scars list that was more uh, infantry-focused, where he had the two large units of Storm Shield vet- Vanguard veterans and a bunch of other... That's our round four. Dice yeah. Hammer? This yeah. is our round four. D- Oops. Well, we're going to talk hammer... about this
3: anyways. We're already <laughs> Spoilers. <here>. Spoilers. <laughs> Hammerhead 2 was our first round. Oh, I
2: see. Oops. Boop, boop. It's because the spreadsheet was all messed up. I see now. All right. Well, anyways, we're gonna we're gonna keep talking about this dice hammer round, because I'm already <laughs> here. Uh, and then finally, uh, Mr. Kyle Perry was running uh, the standard Necron list, which, if you don't know what the standard Necron list is, it is essentially three doom sites, three doom arcs, Tesla immortals, and um, maybe destroyers, mostly mostly infantry of some kind and characters. Uh, so that is the kind of standard Necron list, uh, and this, so this was an interesting matchup for us because um, <clears throat> this is when uh, this is when we started looking at at uh, pairings at less from a ranking standpoint and more from a how many how bad can you know, these matchups possibly be? And I remember when we looked at this matchup before the before the tournament, I went in I put in the notes that I had no good matchups except for the space marine player. Uh, they were all bad matches for me. So I, I literally said something like, Four people crush me in this matchups. So, like, they're all fives. Like, they should all be my lowest ranked matchup. Except for the Space Marine player, who I, th- I have a good shot at beating. Um, so the problem with that was, since I had four really awful, supposedly really awful matchups, uh, and my only good matchup was the Space Marine player, who two other people also had a good matchup against, um, that meant that i basically the basically we shouldn't try to put everyone else in worse positions to give me the space ring player so i was unfortunately going to have to fall on the sword on this one so the way pairings work is you get a first defender that you put out on the table so you 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 reveal them simultaneously and this is the this is the uh player that um you reveal his list and um they get to pick the table that they play on, right? So you roll off, one person picks one table, one team picks one player, one team picks another table, uh, and then the tables are varying. This event, th- there wasn't actually a a, th- a really, th- like, condensed high-terrain table. It was more of just, like, there were three tables with L-shaped buildings in the center. Uh, there was one table with magic boxes in the center, and then there was one table that was really sparse. So it, it was really it was really, really light-terrain, compared to some of the other uh, places I've seen, that was fine. It wasn't, it wasn't a huge deal. It wasn't an issue or anything. Um, so uh, you pick the terrain, you are defender, and then the opposing team will simultaneously with your team pick two lists for you to play against. So in this instance, I was given John Garbowski and I was also given, uh, I believe, Necrons. I think it was Kyle Perry. I think it was Necrons. Okay. Yep. And so I was given these two lists to attack and do, uh, and I was first defender. So um, when you're first defender, you essentially your team, the opposing team, has four lists to put against you, and so you have the highest chances of getting two lists put against you that are bad matchups. And so knowing this, I knew going into it, I picked the the table with the uh, magic box terrain because. That my list does actually perform better in magic box because of all the infantry models and kind of the all all the out of line of sight shooting, um. So that does give me more of an advantage in into bad matchups. Really, really paid off at this tournament, and so um, my job wasn't to wasn't to uh, try and win my my game. My job was to take a bad pairing for everyone else off of the board so in this case i picked the Admech player because two of our players are awful against him and the rest of our players were all coin flips against his list in particular so which meaning which meant that no matter who we put him into on the team that he was going to he was going to uh either coin flip or beat us right so i i played him i fell on the sword expecting him to crush me i just had to make sure that he didn't beat me by that much so that the other players on our team could focus on matchups where they were good because I didn't have any good matchups. So that's kind of the thought process behind team pairings. Uh, And then after those pairings go up, the both players both teams pick up, put up a second defender where it repeats itself. Um, However, the second defender does have an advantage over the first defender. um, And that's there's only three players left on the enemy team. And so if the second defender is someone who has two really, really good matchups against the remaining three lists. So, for example, if you are Eldar Flyers um, and you get put up a second defender and they have th- two lists that absolutely lose to Eldar Flyers, you're guaranteed one of them. Because even if they put one of the lists that Eldar Flyers can beat as a second defender so you can't get paired against them, you'll get the other one because you'll have to pick from the last two lists. Uh so that that was something that we learned against the SoCal Ings, Kings um when we lost. The that was the one we lost and they absolutely outpaired us, and that was when they outpaired us, was when they put Ray up as an Eldar Flyers list, and we we all looked at him and go, Oh my god, we cannot we don't have anyone that can beat Eldar Flyers and he's just gonna pick you know, he picked poor Keith, I think, um and just, you know, won. Did did well, what he, he does. He...
1: Ray picked Nickel because Nickel oh, he, was good against who was going into their last matchup. That's what it was. So he could have they got to, Keith. yeah, but, I, but because you also control who's going into the final, it gives you more of a say. And so it was a, a fantastic pick for them.
2: Right. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. So, so that's, that's it about the pairings matchup. Uh, and I was just using the dice hammer, uh, team as an example. Um, but there, there's a lot of intricacies to this. And then with eight ETC, I imagine these more with, you know, eight players on a team. Um, So uh, Trevor and Jordan, were were there anything that kind of stuck out to you that maybe things that I didn't say or things about lists that you think people might want to know about?
3: Yeah, picking uh, your terrain first can really offset some of the big uh, disadvantages of your army. You touched it briefly a little bit, but there was, I know, two matchups that we paired you against that we really needed you to get magic boxes. And that made the difference between a complete loss and actual playable game.
1: It actually turned those two games around. Those were our two wins in the in the second day were because Pablo flipped a bad matchup due to magic boxes, which was huge. So and great th- job there.
3: Yeah, then it took one of our harder matchups off the table completely. So then that way we had our um, players that we can pick better matchups into. Okay.
1: Right. Yeah. And I think that's I, the cool idea that I learned through this tournament was that idea of someone's got to have a bad matchup. Trying to, trying to measure what's your best pairing doesn't really mean anything because you're going to get bad ones. You can't help it because of the way the attackers are set up. So um, we came with pretty skewed lists and everyone had a focus. Uh, and I think next time I would prefer to have uh, a little bit more of a spread because you want um, for your attackers two people that can go into a hordes list or two people that can go into a knights list so that they don't have any good options when they're picking against your attackers. right? And then also having that player who is super well-rounded, right? I think Nick was our guy for that. Um, But having that defender who doesn't matter, right? If you have two bad matchups, you can't be a defender. And so it's really tough to design a list that's able to kind of cover the field like that.
2: Yeah, yeah. And one thing that, one mistake that we made that we couldn't have possibly understood uh, at the time was that we we had two lists going into horde lists and that was absolutely the wrong call uh luckily i I learned how i learned that my list could take on vehicle lists kind of uh depending on how many vehicles there were um not well but well enough to make it so that my list wasn't a pure specialist unlike keith's list um which was designed to go after hordes really well um and also deny points he was kind of like a defender as well because venoms can be kind of hard to kill and and can just score points um so uh Going into this team tournament, especially now, uh, space marines are going to be something that people have to design for. Not even just regular space marines, but you might even see space marines and like dark angels or space marines and another, you know, space wolves, um, two power armor lists, uh, just because repulsor executioners are so good and space marines in general are just really good. So you'll have one space marine player with an amazing list and maybe a similar kind of space marine esque list in another player. Um, and I think Space Marines also going to keep hordes off the table, you know. Um, so there were only two hordes players, two or three hordes players at this event. Um, one of them was on our team, uh, and Nick, it, Keith and I knew immediately that we were going to have to constantly face bad matchups, and we did. I, 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 four of the five games I played were against my worst ranked or my second worst ranked match.
1: Yeah, you and Keith definitely had the hardest lineups over the weekend, but adjusted your game plan. And went, into the, and went into your game with very different strategies than you normally would, and it, and it paid dividends.
3: Yeah, talk about a couple of Keith's um, ways that he con- uh, combated those.
1: So Keith went into uh, flyer spam at one point um, and knew he was going to lose from the onset, and he changed his secondaries pretty dramatically. Didn't take any that were uh, around killing his opponent. He took things like King of the Hill, which dark elder, aren't normally going to take, um, and change his strategy around just positioning on the board, not worrying about killing things and just squeezing points out of every turn, uh, and staying alive, holding something, holding more as much as possible, getting those secondary points, he maxed his secondaries and, and made it a a fairly competitive game, um, that kept us in the running. We won that round by three points, just barely a win. Largely because Keith kept his loss uh, minimized there, and it was huge.
2: Yeah, and so let's uh let's go. I want to talk about Trevor now because Trevor was definitely we I called him MVP at the beginning. Um, He had a list that was tuned that could go into tons of good matchups, and he went four and one. And I felt like the majority of our game plans were trying to put Trevor into the best possible position. Um. So, Trevor, do you want to talk a little, a little bit about how uh, the team sort kind of helped out with you?
3: Yeah, so the uh, first times, you'll have to correct me. I went def- second defender most of the times. I think there was only like maybe one uh, team where I was not second defender. I do not. I do not have that
1: up. by yeah, I think that's right.
3: Yeah, I think you're that- right. Yeah. Yeah, and what we would do is we would take some of the major ones that could definitely counter me, depending on... It all depends on who they put up first, but uh, we focused on taking out some of the major ones that were my my worst matchups off the table. So sometimes we would bait them with a player that uh, he countered... Uh, my bad matchup was countered by their good matchup. So we try to take my bad matchup off the table, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, Trying to get him off, then we put me as a defender, and that usually gave me two solid matchups, which I would force, and we would try to get max points on that. It came down to just, if I can kill stuff, if I can wipe them, that's where we went into. Um, I think there was only one game where I ended up falling on the sword, and that was our last game, and it was definitely the right move to do.
2: Yeah, yeah, that was a funny one too, because I felt really bad, because you were 4-0, um, and and I, I remember looking at you and, and kind of just seeing the writing on the wall, and I just remember telling you, like, sorry, bro. No, no, a it, beautiful it, record. I'm <laughs> <Not my laughs> sorry. Team, team before win-loss record.
3: And that is a, a, a big part of team events. If you don't have a team member that can't put the team first, no matter how good they are, I'm sorry, you gotta you got to take them off the team. Yes.
2: Yeah. you're gonna have to do it um and so uh i kind of want to talk a little bit about um two things uh one uh my performance against the bad players or against the bad matchups not against the bad players dear god they were amazing (laughs) players that was just a a complete slip of the tongue Uh, but against the my bad matchups um i was fortunate enough to play uh all but two games on magic box tables um which was huge for me uh every time I, I got a chance to pick a magic box table, I did and I got put on it and I took a, a bad matchup from everyone else away. Um, and then uh, from there I you know I, I just kind of like played for first turn and I got first turn almost everyone in every one of those bad matchups too. Uh, the only exception being as I, I got in junior into junior, uh, I got the matchup I wanted. I got first turn or I didn't get the matchup I wanted, but I got the scenario I wanted. I got magic boxes, first turn, going into junior. Uh, with one knight on one side of the board and two knights in shooting distance of my Scorpius going first in, in which is like it, a dream come true for my, for my list and in, in going into a bad matchup. And I just completely got outplayed and lost. Um, and unfortunately with the SoCal Kings game, which is the, they were the favorites going into the tournament already. They had five amazing players, five really, really good lists and experience in pairing in at the ATC format. Um, so, uh, unfortunately, we really needed it, me to win, or we needed more from our team to at least try and tie, because they beat us by like forty-four points. Uh, I want to say 34. 30, 34. 34 points, which is which is close. If if I turn my game into a win, um, and I win by nineteen points, um, which is which is a, a dominant win, but that's a that's a very doable win. Uh, all of a sudden, we we tie them, and maybe change the landscape of the tournament and possibly even win, um, because we wouldn't have a loss at that point. So, bummer. A, wish I, I wish I could have that game back. Uh, and then I wanted to talk about Nikhil, uh, Nikhil, and his list a little bit. I, I don't want to rag on him too much, um, not only because he listens to this podcast, uh, but also because um, I, I know a lot of it wasn't his fault. A lot of it was bad luck. Uh, but there were there were times when uh, when he we needed him to go into a list and a matchup that he needed to win because he was our guy. Like in, in game one against Knights um where basically we we thought he was a guaranteed win and he didn't win uh that can happen at team tournaments right so it it was it's very important that you don't blame your teammates for losses like that you just got to focus on your game and so that's where also having Jordan was critical as well right cuz it, it would have been very easy to just look at it and go Nikhil, you're supposed to beat Knights uh you know you suck you like
1: you lost us that that round uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's never that a good round. answer and no. it's you know by the time you get there, it's it's not even really his fault. There's yes, so many exactly. other things <clears throat> that go into the, that setting and that setup. Uh, but knowing that information, passing it on to the teammates, I let Keith know, I let Pablo know you guys had bad matchups, and uh, I could inform you and say, I need you to take some risks that might push the game the other way. And so you guys could change your game plan based on that, knowing Nickel's not going to pull... Some points like we were hoping,
2: and we tried. You know, uh, we we this was round one. This is the one we drew. We beat them by eleven points. So if we had scored four points more in five games, or denied our opponents four games or four points in five games, we would have won, right? And so that that also changes everything completely, right? So that's that was also huge. Um, And I I talked to everyone on our team, and I think everyone on our team. Probably left a couple points that, that could have gone, they could have swung us one way or another. Right. And yeah. so that, that's a mistake I definitely don't think we'll make again as a team. Um, but one thing I did tell everyone before the event was I got everyone together and I said, you know, tempers are going to get high. Uh, it's, it's competitive. It's a team event. Um, and it's, it's important that we don't get mad at each other. And I think everyone did a really good job of, of keeping that cool and being an actual team. Although there was one funny moment um, where I'm not going to call it the person, but there was one person on a team. Who uh, basically said like I've got this matchup like this is I want this like I want that guy I've got it pair me into him and the rest of the team was like Are you sure like you got this and he's like Yeah I got this and so he did it and he lost by twenty points <laughs> and it um it, it really ruined the pairings and the momentum for them.
1: Um, I think that's an important topic here for for pairings is if you think you're going to beat someone, uh, know it right? The reliability of your predictions for what your list can beat are so important for the draft phase and, and getting those predictions right is, is the winner loss, right? It's, it's all in the draft phase there.
2: Mm-hmm. All right, Peter. So I left you, left you uh, out of this for a while. We apologize. This has been the relentless D power hour, power half hour. Is, did it's he okay. leave? Okay. He's here. Okay.
0: No, I, I love listening to this stuff, man. Like I, if I don't have any input it's it's perfectly fine. I can step in and and yell gibberish if you like, but this is uh this is really great stuff. It's um like I said earlier, the team tournament format is something that really fascinates me. I think it's um I think it's the better way to play this game personally. Um, not that there isn't a like mm-hmm. that there isn't positives to singles play, but just like all of this extra stuff from the coaching perspective and the the, the trying to match yourself up against uh, you know conflicting opponents, uh, that balance is um, it just adds such an extra flavor to this uh, this game that we know and love. I just I love it. So you guys talk on. Oh, I'm with I, I, you. I'm with I you, actually I have a Question. Th- okay, oh,
1: go ahead, Jordan. One For other sure. thing you didn't mention is the viability of what you can bring from a codex. Right, not having to bring a take-all comers to every match means you can let the power of your codex really shine, and I think that's another aspect that helps the game be that much more fun in this team setting that I, I really enjoyed seeing.
2: Yeah, yeah, I was able to run a kind of off-off-meta wonky ultramarines list, and Nikhil was also able to run a unique ult- elder list I'd never seen. Um, yeah. And even though, even though, um you know, it didn't perform as and well even though as he, he wanted to, whoa, whoa, whoa. you know, you know, he lets our teammate. You're talking about Falcon. He, he did fine. I'm yeah. sure he <laughs> um, sucked everybody, you know, and, and I think he would say that too. I think he would, he would say that it didn't perform as well as he wanted it to as well. Um, he still got to bring it and he still got to, it's still got a shining moment as well. Um, and it wouldn't have been possible in a singles event for sure. He, he would have gotten crushed a... by the, the first gene
3: circle Blair he ran into. Um, yeah. that's a big thing too when you have a team tournament and you lose you feel bad in a singles but if it's on a team tournament you still feel like you're in the game and you still feel like you're participating and getting the team points for that Mm -hmm. win Mm -hmm. you don't feel if you lose you don't feel bad you know that the team has your back and you're doing the best for the team
1: yeah like keith's example into that flyer spam knowing you're going to lose going in but still having to play your heart out to minimize the loss and that being so valuable changes your whole perspective on a bad matchup. Yeah.
2: Absolutely. Um so Peter my question for you uh so I, I know I know you have you've had some hard time um getting stats for team events. Uh mm-hmm. if, if, for all the people listening, all the TOs, all the players going to events uh for 40kstats.com what would you like to bring to to bring stats um, on its from team events and draw conclusions from stats um, that would get people more interested in team events? Uh, what what are some things you would want, like recorded stats that you'd want, things like that? I think the big stuff you'd need to, to sep be, the big
0: separation between a team event and and singles play, right? Is this this whole concept of defenders and attackers? Um, where y- your matchup isn't necessarily random, right? It's it's picked may, sometimes picked for you, mm-hmm. um, and that's a key in determining like win loss ratios and uh, say t-wip formulas or anything or anything else really. If I wanted to really get into the nitty gritty of of uh, like average v- victory points for different factions and such, um, if you. Uh, you really need to know, like, was I, was this person put up as an attacker? Were they put up as a defender? Uh, were they first defender, second defender, etc.? Um, because then you can build out, like, a pretty uh, pretty complicated but but um, in-depth look at how each faction has been performing in team events. Um, that's, that's really what I would need. That's the problem I've had with trying to collect team event data, um, because I have gone into it a little bit. I created a couple spreadsheets started diving into it. I did have one uh, event send me there, like defenders, attackers, etc. Um, and I was able to pull a little bit out of it, but it was a smaller event, so you really can't get gauge much from that small of a, um, a data set. That's really what I'd need. Unfortunately, BCP, um, for everything it does, doesn't uh, show that. Um, down under pairings, etc. They don't. Um, that would be what you would need, I think, in order to get in-depth team tournament statistics that were accurate and... That you
2: could actually use, yeah. And I, I would love an app that just that just does the pairings. That's it. We don't we don't need to do we don't need that to submit results or anything. Just an app where where both captains, you know, submit their pairings simultaneously, where they get revealed. Submit the attackers, they get revealed, and then it records it all and puts it all into data format onto a spreadsheet somewhere, or or maybe the TO collects them at the end. I don't know how it would work. Um, yeah, that would be great. Something then like you that. You could
0: do a lot with yeah. it. Um, well,
2: it's just kind of like
0: when it comes to singles play, there's all sorts of data I would love to track, but yeah. um, not everybody tracks it. Yeah. Like, you know, who's going first? Was there a Seize the Initiative? There's all these little extra things that we don't get to talk about because we're not there yet. Yeah. It, um, so we do like the, the bigger picture. And unfortunately, it's hard to do the big picture on a team a team event with the software that we currently have available.
2: Yeah. And it would also make uh, consuming or or viewing the team event so much better for people watching at home. Um, the number one thing. So before, for the longest time, the number one question people asked was what are the lists that is, that was always a thing. And so the community answered, we got best coast pairings. We got 40k We had people post lists on various blog sites. Um, I would started writing list tech articles, talking about top lists. Uh, and I, cause I remember that was the big problem when I first started was that no one was posting their goddamn lists. So no one knew what the best lists were. So, um, rolling on to now uh, with when it comes to these team tournaments and kind of streaming in general, but specifically these team tournaments, uh, players would like to know the process before the game starts, right? And so the number one question I always got asked going into team events, whether it's ATC, ETC this year, ETC last year, probably this event, if anyone has any more questions, and that is how, how did this matchup get paired? What were the pairings like? And so it would be huge if you had two stream personalities uh, like at ATC this year that was streamed. If you had the two ATC personalities watch the pairings process live, but maybe not watching the players talk. Cause that would get kind of, that would get kind of jumbly and messy. Um, it, it'd be hard to follow and, and might even be like cheating involved. Cause you could have players like watch the stream. Um, you know, like, like that probably, probably wouldn't have them record live. That'd probably be very tough to do unless both teams were in separate rooms. But, um, and even then, I would, I would be iffy about it. But uh, to have them put up just on the side, on the um, overlay, just like uh, round one, defender, boom, boom. And then both commentators would be like, oh, okay, they put Pablo up as first defender and they put Kenny Boucher up as first defender. Like, what are they going to pick now? These are the lists. Here's the link to the list. Just something like that to help the audience follow along so that uh, it creates tension and it creates drama. And people can see exactly how the pairings process works because that's currently a competitive part of 40 K that people in general, unless you go to these team events are not experiencing. Right. And that's huge. There's players who are really good at pairings. You can get out paired. You can, there's drama in the pairings. There's, there's matchup talk. There's all sorts of good stuff that we're just not getting because no one's talking about it because it's not being recorded. So that's good. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like I, I, could probably, I could probably talk about each of our games at length for an hour. You know, just each episode, just the, just talk about just the pairings and you know what our thought processes were, processes were, and everything. And I think people would love to hear it, which, which is even cooler. It's um, really exciting. Yeah. So yeah, uh, there you go. I'm, I'm really excited for team events. I, uh, I got the bug. Uh, Same here. Yeah. Uh, Jeff, for for years, always talked about the ATC being his. You know, his absolute favorite event, despite the fact that it was in Tennessee in the middle of summer, you know, uh, sw- surrounded by a bunch of fat, sweaty nerds, rolling dice. Um, but it was absolutely the best time he'd ever had playing 40K. Uh, and I can see why now.
1: So, yeah, I'm, I'm sold. I'm sold. I thought it was great. Even as a coach, not as a player. I had a great time A totally different experience. Uh, and I enjoyed every minute of it.
2: All right. So we're at uh, an hour 20. This is a lighter episode um, in terms of time this week. Uh, Trevor,
3: Falcon, Jordan, were there any last thoughts before we moved on to the end of the episode? Uh, For people who want to run uh, team events, I think it's a good thing for your community. Uh, A couple critiques that I did have for the tournament itself. I think it was ran very smoothly. Um, I'd like to see more differences in terrain. Uh there's a couple tables where it was all five were ident- identical except for one. Um, I'd like to see an actual light terrain, one heavy terrain, one with magic boxes, and then one with like the um, the adepticon L's, and then another random one.
2: Nova probably.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, kind
0: of like what uh, ETC does yeah. generally is they have uh, four or so uh, table
3: types that you could possibly play on in each uh, format. So. And then that'll add a much more depth to the pairings. So you just, it'll help your defender and it can also hurt your defender. So it, uh, it'll add more drama, as you guys were saying. Um, other than that, the, the tournament organizers did a fantastic job. They picked some of the greatest players to be a part of the event, you know, for team-wise. Uh, a bunch of great guys showed up. Uh, can't complain. Every one of my opponents was amazing they were uh it was very fun to play and some of the most humble and uh, amazing guys can't say it enough
2: right on all right and then uh, just to add on to that real quick cuz i think Trevor brought up a great point if you're interested to in running a team of team tournament in your event uh and you have the terrain to do it um it's not crazy hard to do it's this was a an 8 person an 8 team 40 person team tournament um which is a gt basically uh like a a smaller gt now compared to the rest of the gts in the world um so you know it's a great alternative so if you're looking to shake it up if you're one of those uh communities where you know you can get 40 people to a gt uh and you want to shake it up maybe you have you run three tournaments a year make one of them a team tournament and just try it out the atc format um as you know there's there's definitely some things in there that I don't agree with from a rules perspective and from a tournament perspective, but overall that format is amazing. It's really easy to follow. It's really great, and and if we're being honest here, it's probably it, the best team format for getting your community wet their feet wet for the team. So, whoa. Well, I, I don't. That almost I, went weird, man. So, well, so the ETC. You're so close. The, you could either use ATC, you could e- use ETC, or you could make your make up your own. Just right. So those are your options. There's no ITC team format right now. There, there might be. You know, I'm not going to rule He's that out. Reese, Reese is a Reese is a man of passion and uh, force of nature. So he might put something out like that. Um, but the ATC, the ATC team format is is with the five man teams and or five woman five person teams uh, and uh, and the the format the way it is set right now i think that's probably the best thing to use mm-hmm. uh, although i would suggest using going to 15 point differential not 21 point differential uh nick and i were supposed to look at the event afterwards and look at how many ties there would have been if there they'd been 21 points um but i get the feeling that it would have been a lot more and um w- we've there, had three ties yes and and for those of you wondering we haven't didn't quite say it. Uh, there were three teams tied for first place that all went three one and one. So there were already a lot of ties, e- even for a five round 40 person event. There are already a lot of ties, um, and uh, we were one of the teams that went 3-1-1 that got tied for first place. And then the tiebreakers were point differential, point differential scored, and the winners were not actually the SoCal Kings. It's a bit of an upset. It was a rage quit table flip. Uh, another one of the teams that we singled out as one of the best teams at the at the tournament, um, and you know it was it was really close. It was a it was really close, and if we'd played a sixth round, it could have been any of us.
3: and yeah, congratulations to both of those teams. Oh, they yeah. did uh, a great job.
2: Yeah. All right. So we're going to move on to the final part of the podcast, uh, Jordan and Trevor. If you're not familiar, uh, we like to answer questions that the patrons put out on the podcast Patreon Discord server or the Pod- Patreon facebook page so more from Nikhil, um definitely more from Nikhil. Nikhil likes to put one in every week although i didn't see one this week um it's probably probably wondering how to make
1: vibro cannons work
2: (laughs) first question Nikhil, how do you make vibro cannons work i recently attended a turn anyways uh first question uh from mr patron (laughs) joseph top 10 at lgt was either imperium or eldari is the diverse meta everyone has gone on about gone as the sky falling uh, so so the top 10 at London GT was either Imperium or Eldari. Is the diverse meta everyone has gone on and on about gone? So are we no longer in a diverse meta? Um, I'm going to take this question first, and I think Peter I think Peter's definitely got an answer to this. Um, but I think that the meta is still very diverse, but I'm not going to deny that it is less diverse than it was two months ago or even one month ago. Um, or two weeks ago. Or two weeks ago. <laughs> uh, it, it it's definitely going to be less diverse, and it's certainly going to feel less diverse. Now I'm a Space Marine player, so I'm going to see five different Space Marine chapters on the on the on in a tournament in the top tables, and I'm going to say that's diverse as heck. Like that's great. They but all played. I understand. I understand that there are non-Space Marine players out there who look at power armor. And go, oh, they're all space brains. Because I see the same thing about Tyranid lists and Orc lists and Eldar. Like, I get it. So, like, it's going to look just as diverse to me, but it's definitely not going to be diverse. Um, unless you're one of those guys that likes to count the, the tactics. Anyways, Peter, go ahead. No, that's it. You're right. It's, I think at this point... Um,
0: It's probably going to be, I would say, at least a month of very uh, low diversity. You're still going to see Knights at the top occasionally. Um, I do think that there are certain Marine lists that just kick the crap out of Knights, but they're not going to be every list. So, uh, Knights are still going to be up there. Gene Steeler cults are still going to pull some out. Um, Eldar uh, Eldar Flyers until the FAQ comes out, if they even get touched in the FAQ now that we have Marines. Um, like those things will all still exist, but I think you're going to see more and more of these top 10s that are, say, five or six uh, Space Marine lists, and then two or three of everybody else. Um, which, guys, it, it does suck, because we had to hit a point where you'd look at a top eight, and there would be little to no overlap between all eight lists, really, um, with, with few exceptions, uh, for quite some time now. Uh, but I think we... Uh, like, it's still far superior to, say, how we were, I don't know, six or seven years ago. If you look at, say, 6th edition, uh, someone asked me once, uh, actually uh, after the LGT, um, if this was the least uh, diverse uh, top 8 or top even 15 I'd ever seen. And I responded that, um, sure, from a a 40k stats perspective, uh, the last year and a little bit I've run coverage, yes, I guess. But if you go back to, say, 6th edition, I remember checking out, I want to say it was Adepticon results, and the top eight were seven lists that were cookie-cutter Necrons with uh, three Helldrakes Mm. allied in, um, and then one guy running Space Wolves with an Imperial Bastion. Oh, no. (laughs) Of of the eight lists, seven were the exact same list at like a large major event. Um, and and we hear that all the time about how it was like in the, the terrible old days. Yeah. Um, so we're not there yet. It is scary. I don't think the sky is necessarily falling. But time will tell. We're, I said it at the beginning of the episode. We, we're we going to get a few more weeks of results in. People are either going to be able to uh, figure out how to defeat these lists that are tearing up the meta or are about to tear up the meta, or they won't, and then they'll all start running them and then hopefully GW will do something about it yep. if that's the case.
1: Now you I'm get a diverse gonna... meta? Team tournaments. <laughs> Five yeah. codexes on they each could, team.
0: They can go. only run one Iron Hands list. It's <laughs> the definition of
3: diverse. <laughs> uh, no, but if it gets too bad, I'm going to hide behind my wall. There you go. <laughs> you wanker. All right. So uh, patron Tofu uh,
2: wants, to know, wants me to tell us about the Magic Necron Box on the final game against Kenny Boucher. Uh, this is actually a really funny story. I'll tell it real quick. Because it is... It, it, I felt like it was my defining game of the tournament. Um, Because Kenny was a, a phenomenal player. It was the final game of the tournament. We wa- we wanted the win to even have a shot at first place. We knew we had to win. Uh, and I got my hardest matchup in Kenny. And uh, Kenny was running uh, two knights. Two big knights. Uh, one double battle cannon. One double relic. Or gatling cannon. And then uh, war dog with with um, the auto cannons and then three Lord Discordants, and as he calls them, Dirty Mike and the Boys, which are uh, a character, a Chaos character that can be really crazy against Space Marines with a bunch of attacks, uh, and three or four Chaos Space Marine squads with to give them that like, 9 CP in the Red Corsair's Detachment. So, really good list, um, a really, really good player. So I went into this list thinking, I'm going to get my butt kicked. And I knew it, but I got first turn. Um, which was, like I said before, amazing for me. And then turn one, I seal both his Gatling Cannon Knight, which was the closer thing to my knight. I redeployed all of my army to one side of the board so that the two Lord Discordants on the side of the board they weren't on would get blocked by some Infiltrators. So that was kind of a good play on my part, where I blocked his two Lord Discordants so that they couldn't come to my army. Turn one, they couldn't advance super far. They only got to move like three inches. And the Battle Cannon Knight was on that side too. And then I shot... Literally, my entire army, everything except Tigarius, Chaplain, Cassius, the lieutenant, and my Thunderfire cannon into that night. everything, and I brought it down to one wound, and um, that was something I hadn't experienced before. Uh, Cronus and the War One Scorpius did a co- combined 39 hits, um, and then only did like 10 damage to it, which was which was really shocking. Um, so at that point, I thought it actually lost the game. I thought I was I'm done. Um, But I played it out, I I hit in some magic boxes, uh, and then um, I kind of played real cagey. Uh, He was definitely, you know, beating me up. Um, I just had to get kills here and there and kind of stay in the game. Uh, And then my defining moment was my aggressors came out. They killed one Lord Discordant from full health down to zero with just bolter shots. This is only six aggressors. This isn't a big unit. This is two units of three, so they can't even get buffs combined. Right? So, you can't give one exploding sixes AP one exploding sixes or anything, right? This is just two units of three, and I shoot five aggressors into the Lord Discordant on the left because the other one was out of range because I messed up. So, this is only five aggressors shooting into a full health Lord Discordant in the tactical doctrine, and I kill him, like, easily. Um, that's how many bolter shots aggressors have. It was nuts. And then both of them made pretty good charges on his second Lord Discordant, brought it down to one wound with their power fists. And then my intercessors who had just killed Dirty Mike and, and most of his boys, his large unit of boys, uh, dirty or they didn't kill Dirty Mike, but Dirty Mike bounced off of them, which was super lucky for me because he's a Chaos Space Room character going into intercessors. Uh, and then they backed away from him. I popped the stratagem to, advance, to fall back and charge. And then I made an 11 inch charge into the second magic box in Kenny's deployment zone, where his objective was that if I hold it, I got the bonus point. And so they got into that box, killed the unit that was on that objective, took it from them. And then from turn three on, they guaranteed just by them standing there guaranteed me hold more for the rest of the game and the bonus point for the rest of the game. Cause Kenny didn't have anything in, in his list that could go in there and get them. Cause everything was vehicles. So he couldn't get in the magic box. Pablo and,
1: got four bonus points that, that game from those intercessors. And how many points he won months. the game by? He won the game by four points.
2: I did win the game by four points.
1: <laughs> so What
0: a champ. And you know, guaranteed, someone in the comments is going to be like, this is why magic boxes are
2: broken. Well, Kane and I talked about it, and we, we definitely felt like magic boxes probably shouldn't be a common thing at singles events in terms like that because of that reason exactly. Um, and then he named a couple events where it was like a, a bigger problem where there were too many of them um but at a team event i'm okay with one table getting a magic box
1: uh we it's, had to pick it especially we had to, we had to strategize around it and but, say we want this magic box we yeah. want to put pablo in it like this gives him an edge and a terrible matchup otherwise yeah. and it just had to fall into place for it us was, really cool. it was it was
2: literally that it was um I, I played like i said i played four <laughs> of the five matches i played i played against my worst ranked team person or my second worst ranked person and um, the ones I played on Magic Boxes, I won, except for the game against Junior where I lost. So, anyways, that's it. That's um, that's it. Uh, and moving on to uh, Mr. Tim, uh, he wants to know during my games what new Space Marine unit strategy and rules had the largest impact on your games. That's easy, Sergeant Cronus in a Whirlwind Scorpius shooting three times is with with the full rerolls to hit and to wound on one enemy unit is the most broken thing Space Marine Ultramarines can put out it's so good it's it like I've had him one shot Ares gunships Orion gunships all sorts of knights shadow swords well not not one he didn't one shot the shadow sword at the tournament but I've had him one shot Baneblade blade variants um, so that
3: and against the space marine player that I I played against uh he had a couple cool combinations that I, I really liked uh, he was a white scar player he had a plus three inch charge with some powers powers and some um, some chaplains And then he had a 3d6 charge, removing the lowest. And then also on turn three, he did an extra wound. It it really, you felt it. You felt it pretty good.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I know. The Space Marine has got some play. There's a lot. And we're going to have a Space Marine episode. It'll probably get broken down into two episodes now uh, with Brandon Grant, with other Space Marine players. And we're going to talk all this stuff when all the supplements come out. There's a lot. There's a lot there. All right. Uh Monty wants to know uh uh what he wants to know what people think is the most helpful way to provide inputs when someone asks for help with a list and you aren't necessarily familiar with their factions or units. Um he suspects that people at the host level probably know enough to comment on anything. Not true by the way, Monty, I don't know every faction by a lot, but I'm also bad at the game, so uh but what about people with less general knowledge? Can they still do something that is helpful or is it better to say nothing to go from the cold codex entry? So Basically, what he's asking is when people ask uh, for input on their list or help with their list, uh, is it should you just know everything, or is there general thing tips that you can always give people? And I, um, you know what? I'm gonna let one of you guys take this. This is a good question.
3: Okay, I'll go ahead and start. Uh, one thing I usually ask is I try to find out what my army is good against and what my army has its weakness. And if I'm worried about uh, assaulting all find out how far do they charge do they have any stratagems do they have any buffs that allow them to charge or fall back and charge or anything like that that would uh hamper me from doing the goal that my army needs to do um then from there i find out what their defensive is so is there ways to remove um AP values, remove the amounts of shots or the amounts of hits, or is there any negative modifiers that they can add? And I just ask general questions like that. It's really quick. It's pretty easy to just ask. They'll give you a blanket statement and then go from there. Um, a good thing is just to have a understanding with your opponent saying, okay, we're both here not to play gotcha hammer, but I'm not going to tell you everything with my list because then it's like you're, you're telling me how to beat my beat you. you know, And that isn't the spirit of the game.
2: Peter, you there? Falcon down. Falcon down. I think he was flying and someone someone Cra-
3: crossbow crashed.
1: Um, as far as giving feedback, um, maybe for a friend on someone else's list that you're not familiar with. Um, I, I kind of read the question differently. I think Trevor is like, if a friend is asking me to help them with their list and I'm not familiar with their codex, how do I still help them? Um, you can still ask them questions about how they tackle common problems like how do you kill a knight tell me how you would address flyers what would you do against plague bearers things that are super common in the meta you don't need to know the answer ask them to provide the answer for you and if they can't then they know they need to fix something
3: oh i'm understanding now and then also ask see what your meta is so find out what your local meta is if you have one guy that constantly is bringing and is topping tables as a. a a Nick Notavati list or as a Brandon Grant or um, any of those major players. And that's usually the list they're taking. Find out what they have and, and find ways to counter that. If it's hordes, find ways to go against oh, hordes. If it's heavy vehicles, find ways against heavy vehicles. Yeah.
0: I think you nailed it. Uh, that's the big thing when it comes to this kind of advice giving. You don't necessarily have to tell them, here's how you make the best list because you see that happen a lot. And, um, I think that's where he's getting at from a like any host can do this type of thing, um, which like Pablo said you can't, because um, like it's impossible to know every variation of every codex, like, even like even if you see every list, but the big thing is ask them questions, find out like say you know what is your what are you trying to accomplish with this list, um, what do you like you said what do you see in uh, in your meta um, that you're worried about and then and then kind of walk them through it that way because most people are going to learn far more answering their own questions than by you kind of just like cookie cuttering hey take this unit because it's better than what you what you have find out why they're taking that unit if you don't understand it like you, you don't you don't play Grey Knights and some weirdo is like Grey Knights are the best here's my list how do I make it better rather than being like trying to figure that out ask him how to make it better what's, what's your goal here what do you expect to be going up against Um, and then talk him through his book that's uh, it will improve it will improve them as a player far more than just saying you need to take aggressors because they're better than whatever else they're currently taking and you'll learn a lot too exactly
2: yeah um so monty uh i have uh i'm gonna answer a question from don't
0: listen to pablo he will tell you to take a third colexus to whatever event you're going to
2: (laughs) and you'll be like man i wish i I had i've um been in the unique position to have you know received daily emails every you know day since i started the podcast asking you know having people ask me for list advice um so i probably helped like hundreds and hundreds of people with lists now did i actually help them uh that you know we don't the results do not speak for themselves that we don't know i certainly have never helped anyone when you know with like a gt winning or major winning list um but, uh, uh, you know, the the one thing I always look at when someone sends me a list to critique or help them with is what do they want out of their list? Because players want different things. Uh, do they want to win a GT? Do they want to go 3-2, and 4-1? and one? Do they want to overperform? Do they want to see a specific unit in their list work, um, like a pet unit or something like that? So I always dig for those questions first, because you can't help them even generally, no matter what the list is, unless you know what they want. You can't give them good advice unless you know what they want, right? Um, and so if you're you're genuinely trying to help someone with their list, find out what they want first, and then from there help them get to that point. Uh, start c- cutting, uh, start getting to point sufficient things, and to a solid core of what they want, right? So like, figure out what their disposable units are, because if you look at most lists, most lists have like a good, a good most lists that people like have like a good core. Of 200, 300 points in units that, they, that are interchangeable, but the rest of it are generally units that the list is either built around or that the player wants to play with, right? And so uh, find out what their core is of the list, and if they don't have a core, help them get to a core, help them get to something that they want. Uh, you do sometimes try to see people bring in different elements of different lists and try to build around three things or three cores um, that can happen. Uh, you know, if you just tell them, hey, like, I think this is not i think this is probably something you need to focus away from maybe you're focusing on killing knights and hordes but you can only do one or the other um, or you're trying too hard in one aspect or the other so um, figure that out and then from there talk them around you know what their where their flex spots are so if they've got 400 points to work with have go through do what peter did go through their whole codex with them if you can you know let them Make sure that they know every option available to them in those four hundred points, and then from there you can you'll definitely figure out more about your list. So.
3: And play games. Oh, Thoughts play obviously
2: games. you always want to play games. Um, uh, Nathaniel Henning wants to know if we've seen the Salamanders leaks and what we think of them from a strength standpoint. Nathaniel, I cannot comment on this uh, publicly, but but Jordan and Trevor and. Peter maybe can probably say a little bit more on this.
0: Sure, have you guys seen them? I have. I have, I have as it. well. I think there's a couple things in there that are pretty cool. I don't think there's anything on par with um, what we've already seen from the other supplements. Um, they've got a couple, like the leaks don't show all the stratagems so that may change things. I think there will be some pretty spicy play. it plays you'll be able to pull off with a few units in the codex um, the new special character that's been leaked looks pretty good. It's just how are you going to deliver him with whatever payload you want to deliver him with. Um. Yeah, I'm not 100% on where salamanders are going to stand once everything comes out.
3: And I'm also looking at um uh, the Forge World characters as well. I can't wait until we get the uh, our hands on the book and see how those characters fit into the whole... Uh... Chapter. Yeah,
0: because their apothecary is fantastic. The oh, the yeah. forge world and uh, also the um, swordsman.
2: Yeah,
0: the swordsman's yeah. great. Like they do have two amazing uh, uh, forge world characters, and then the dreadnought, who is just you know two hundred and yes. some odd points too much uh <laughs> for what he does. But I mean, isn't he T nine? Uh, he is, but he's – I think – I, I want to – and I might be wrong, guys. I'm really sorry. I think he's like 400 points is the he main is 400 problem. Points. <laughs>
2: like... he's, he's T9 400 points, and he doesn't have a weapon that can shoot past 12 inches. And
0: he can't be your warlord unless you have no other characters
2: in your list? Yes. Yeah, so you just don't put any other characters in your list.
3: Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, easy. <laughs> just pay the command points to give him a warlord trait. Yeah.
2: Ooh, you can do that now. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. you you broke the codex. No. No.
3: (laughs) Yeah, give him
0: the plus two toughness. He'll be toughness 11 if that leak is true, which it probably is. Toughness. Okay, guys, there, we've done it. Now you know how to make the best salamander list. Make a toughness 11 (laughs) dreadnought as your warlord victory
3: ally with iron hands and the guys can just jump right in front yeah right? the-
2: gilliman is wounding you on fives with his sword yeah it's amazing That's silly it's hilarious
0: actually but um anyway uh yeah so yes i have seen the leaks they look okay i don't put them on par with iron hands yet um or even probably ultra or white scars but there's you know six or seven strats we haven't seen if the leaks are true that could change all of that Um, that special character that apparently turns all his buddies into blood angels makes me sad as a, as a person that owns a bunch of blood angels. Um, but you know, I knew it was going to happen.
2: Unless Trevor has anything to add. Um, I do want to say one thing about salamanders. Um, and that's that as a, so I've been really excited for space range for a long time. um, Ultramarines were the army that, that I was uh, obviously initially going to play as soon as I heard that they were going to be announced for White Scars. Uh, and then I, I've always known that I was going to play Raven Guard in some capacity because I've already been running Lias Isodon, Snipers, and Raven Guard Style lists. And so when I saw the Raven Guard supplement stuff, I, I knew that that was what I was I wanted to run. Because it already fit exactly into the Space Marine list I'd been running previously. If you remember, I ran the Fuck Yo Characters list. um, Language. Which was, I know, right, language. Bleep bleep Yo Characters. Um, uh, You know, the the Raven Guard will just make that list so much better. And I don't have to worry about taking Castellan. Right? (laughs) Glad I have earphones on right now. (laughs) So, so, I'm super happy. I'm really, really, really excited for Raven Guard. Um, Probably so much too much. But... Salamanders could potentially be the chapter, depending on how things go, could potentially be the the supplement that pulls me away from both of those. So I'm just just waiting, just waiting for the supplement to come out, and then and then we'll see.
3: So I'm still looking into going into Emperor Spears. I think that could be a really fun Emperor.
2: Irony. Emperor Spears are just they they just have a chapter tactic and a special limited edition, four hundred dollar second hand, you know, book.
0: But the, the, the novel was awesome.
2: The novel's Amazing. great. I agree. I have read, read the novel. Um, but uh, but yeah, the Emperor's the the paint scheme for them is gorgeous too. I've always wanted to own an Emperor's Spears army just because it looks so cool. But always being anyways. the one year they've existed. All right. So uh, <laughs> move, 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 <laughs> got him. That's gotcha. true. Always being the one year. Always since they've been. Anyways, uh, patron Steve wants to know. Having just played in RTT this weekend against Marines with Omni Scramblers, you poor guy. How is Gene Circle going to adapt to huge areas of deep strike denial?
3: Well, after I talked to Michael and got him off from jumping off the tallest building, I think he's going to go probably the same route as um, Brandon Grant and just doing more bodies so he can throw things into it. I think that's Brandon's. And his uh, idea towards it.
2: Yeah. The the other thing about those Omni Scramblers guys uh, is is uh, Gene Circle Colt definitely can't deep strike down. However, Frankie already found the answer with his bike. So if you listen to the Art of War podcast where he talked about his Gene Circle list, a lot of Gene Circle players are now acknowledging the fact that maybe those bikes are a better option than deep striking uh, Gene Circle Colt units. Uh, also, those Infiltrators—they're good. It's a hundred and ten points for five they are so expensive that's the problem and even though even though they're good and and they can do work against little things they will still fold they don't have camo cloaks they infiltrate so they'll be even easier they'll be pushed up closer than the rest of the army so they will be even easier to shoot and kill with low range stuff it's it's they're good but it's like what i said you know two episodes ago that space marines are gonna have a hard time with their points and Putting everything into their lists, and if you want to fit infiltrators, that might be one less repulsor executioner. That might be you know one less unit of aggressors. That's it's, it's the, and and having only five infiltrators is not is not great. Gene Cult players, if if they only have one unit of infiltrators. You can still play around that. And, There's still lots right. of play
0: there. And even if you have a couple, I mean, they do have a stratagem that lets them move after they deep strike. So yes, you'll yes. be outside the 12. They're going to move that D6 inches. If it's important for them, they will re-roll that die. Um, right. And then chances are they're going to get off that charge on your infiltrators and not kill them. They'll just wrap yep. them instead because the infiltrators aren't going to kill a 10-man unit of aberrants. Um, which is, you know, the muscle beach list is the more common uh, variation you're seeing these days. And that's beautiful for them, because they will slaughter them in your turn. Um, infiltrators are great, don't get me wrong. I think Genestealer Call players were super excited when the um, fact came out that the plus 3-inch bubble warlord trait didn't work on the Phobos Captain, because that was the scarier proposition, was a guy with a 15-inch bubble blocking out that big of a space. <laughs> so,
2: yeah. Um. Yeah, it's it's good. And then one other, th- just quick note before we move on to the final question is Eliminators, Space Brain Eliminators. Their sergeants have the ability to shoot and then move after firing Overwatch. Yes, um, which is kind of like a baby version of the Infiltrator thing, the Omni Scrambler, um, because they can move out of charge range, making it you know harder for you to charge and to charge, etc. Um, so that is something that you can. But you, to also take something that denies Overwatch against Space Brains where I'm going at. You have a relic that does that you're already going to be charging into aggressors most likely. Um, so you don't want to take over watches to begin with. So I would definitely look into taking that relic on the regular. Um, all right. And then finally, uh, Brett wants to know, uh, the best games tend to be the games where play by intent state such unit as nine inches away, yada, 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 playing by intent. Um, these tend to be the best games, but when does this friendly kind of game cross over to saying no and being strict? Like when someone forgets to deep strike a unit, turn forward, or roll their revive dice for Bobby G, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, especially if it's going to make a difference, like if it's game five at a GT um, and you have a shot to win the whole thing or, or get into the finals and stuff. Um, and this is a really good question, so I, I want everyone to kind of take a quick crack at this um, because I feel like we've all kind of been in similar scenarios or we've all played by intent with really good players, but there is a turning point, um, you know, where. In a in a game, where even with the most casual friends, uh, you you might make your friend might making one too many mistakes, or one mistake might be the difference between the game losing and winning, which might cause hurt feelings. And so you you have to, as a player with your opponent, go over this hurdle in some capacity. So uh, uh, we'll start with uh, Peter first.
0: So if we're talking about like the game five or game six of a G tier major, when it's all on the line. Um, I would say that those are the games where I'm going to go in, not that I've ever been in that situation, though I have been yeah. in RTTs, been at the top table and things like that. I will go into that situation and the approach I like to take, um, I mentioned this like months and months and months ago on the podcast, there's this awesome dude in the UK that does this, um, he'll open up his important games, the ones that he like wants to play strict, he'll say here's what I would like from you, let's make a little agreement, is that we each get one mistake. Um, and it's something that I, I try to do with myself, at least, when I'm playing even casually now, is I'll tell my opponent, like, listen, I like if you're okay with it, I'm up for playing for intent. I would like to make just... Uh, but for me, I'm only going to let myself have one. Um, and, I, and I take that to events as well. So when I play in an RTT or whatever, I tell my opponents, like, let's make one each, and then after that, we kind of play it as it is. So if you forget your Deep Strike, if you forget your, like, Revive, or whatever it is... Um, you don't you don't get it after that. It's It's fair. it kind of it's like a firm but fair. so that way everybody knows what's going in and there's there's no bidding uh, happening throughout the game. Um, yeah, that's kind of like how I like to
1: do it. Jordan? So' I'm a, I'm a software engineer and uh, as part of my job, we have a similar problem of you're working in a really complex setting. Uh, And you have a lot of things to keep up with and you're going to miss stuff because we're human and it sucks when it happens but it's an inevitable part of the job so what we do to mitigate that is create process and by process i mean testing along the way so after i write my code someone else looks at it and then someone tests it and there's all these things that happen um, between me making the decision and it actually getting there so i do the same thing for my 40k games and this really just comes down to practice but practice purposefully and use things in your game to help you with the mistakes that you're making. So as an example, I would forget to fire and fade my dark reapers consistently. So I added to my process, my checklist as I'm going through a turn is when I, when I start my movement phase, I place the stratagem card for fire and fade on the board next to my reapers. So that when I come to shoot them, I see it, I remind myself, and it's just, this is the thing that I'm doing. And I'm going through the motions of this process to not forget, to not make this mistake, right? Put dice down put cards down, take notes, put it on the table, give yourself reminders, just build it into the habits of how you play your game so that those mistakes go away.
3: All right, Trevor, do you have anything else to add to all that? Yeah, I can I can go quite a bit onto this. <laughs> um, so communication is key. Start off the game, uh, lay out all the rules, everything that could be a problem, put it all down. What is terrain is this what is this what do you consider this is this a hill is this a ruin or is this cover what do you get out of this that way when before it happens you've already addressed what it could be and what it's not um from there you go and talk like uh, how falcon was saying uh oh i'm going to take one uh misplay you can take one misplay or you can go i'd like to keep this as tight as possible Um, i go into every game going i'd like to keep this as tight as possible uh, and then if I do make a mistake, I don't ask for a take back, but I'll let the player know that, hey, I made a mistake. Uh, and that does two things. One, the player might actually say, oh, you can move that back. If it doesn't matter that much, then what, no harm, no foul. Um, if it does matter, sometimes what the player will do is, go well, okay, let's do a dice off, or no, uh, I don't want you to take that back. And then what happens now is you put onto them that we're playing a tight game, and if you make a mistake, we're not correcting anything. So the fault was on you. You just set a precedence. Okay, this is not. We're not doing this anymore. Um, I lost my train of thought. How we yeah. kept on going. Yeah. Um, if you make a mistake,
1: it's, it's absolutely your fault, and it's up to you to deal with that. Yep.
2: Yeah. Uh, so I could definitely beat this like a dead horse, but just. Real quick, the way with my play, uh, and I think Brett, you might have a similar problem to what I used to have before I just made this decision. That's I just play with specific things with intent, but other than that, I don't really like to play with intent, even in casual games. Uh, although there are certain players that I'll play with intent more um, that I'm the most comfortable with, but in general, I don't play by intent except for very specific things, which is uh, when it comes to movement. Because movement in the game can be very, very imprecise can, and can come down to millimeters. So, um, with movement, I, there's always a bit of leeway there. If I say this unit is three inches away from an objective, but one inch away from the building so that it can't be charged by vehicles or knights. Um, I'll say that I'll make sure I'll measure it to make sure that it's actually, that's an actually legal thing I can do. And then I, from there, if it gets bumped around or if I don't do it accurately, I just let my opponent know that that's what the intent is there. So just with movement and then with, with actions before they happen. So if there's like if I'm gonna use the Thunderfire Cannon Strat, I'm gonna tell my opponent in that at the beginning of my turn. I'm going to be like, "Listen, I'm gonna spend the CP now. I'm using the Thunderfire Cannon Strat on this model," um, and that's kind of like intent. I understand that you don't do that, but that's those are the only two times I, I play by intent. The rest, if I if I fail something or if I forget a procedure or miscue anything like that, like I'm I I don't, I don't like to take it back on myself.
3: So that's um, it. I, I, I do like to play more by intent. And that just does a couple things. It makes the atmosphere of the game kind of kind of lower down, so where you're not so intense with each other. Um, like you said, movement is really important, but it's it's one thing where you can uh, you can get a little more leeway with. Yeah. Um, it it makes the game a lot more fun. And when you walk away from the game, whether you win or lose, you walk away no know, knowing the player better, and you make another friend. Yeah. Um, a lot of a lot of times, when you do ask for help, you're asking your peers. So if you leave a game with sour grapes, they're less likely to help you become a better player in the future. So you try to, you know, be as nice as possible, and still be a professional about it. Yeah. You you have to show professionalism, but at the same time, that doesn't mean you can't have a fun and friendly game. No, I try to crush every opponent I play. Five-year-old, 100 years old, doesn't matter. I do the same. I look (laughs) across the table, but it's usually I look across the table and, like, two feet taller, and then I just dead-eye them and go, (laughs) I'm going to get you.
2: (laughs) Um, All right. So uh, that's it, guys. That's it for the episode. Um, Those are all the questions. So if you want to know more from uh, Peter and what he has to offer, check him out at (laughs) 40kstatscenter.com. Or 40kstats.com, where Peter is a constant force. He also has a new email that you can email at if you have questions. Peter, what is that email?
0: Uh, contact at 40kstats.com. Just Boom. easy peasy.
2: Contact at 40kstats.com. If you'd like to know a little bit more about our sponsor, the Iron Halo. The Iron Halo is going to be happening at the end of the month in September. Unfortunately, for the first time in a while, I will not be attending. Um, There's just some stuff that came up that I have to deal with. Uh, but... I will be shoutcasting with a couple of other amazing ha- guests and Jason definitely knows how to put on a good show. So I'm going to be shoutcasting uh, from a discord server for the iron halo. I am very excited for the iron halo. There's always a great event. Uh, and then uh, check out runrunner wargaming conversions for all your custom display board needs. Uh, you can join Patreon. Of course, if you'd like to help out the podcast and then uh, of course, go to frontlinegaming.org, secondhand shop stuff, check out in the finest hour, 40kstats.com, 40kstatscenter, and the Art of War, and if you feel like it, signals from the front line, where Reese this week is going to talk about the London GT. That is an uh, episode I'm really excited to hear about because every year Reese and Frankie definitely love talking about Well, not every year. Last year they definitely had a mouthful to talk about the LGT, and I mentioned this year it's no exception. All right. That is it. Jordan, Trevor, thank you for coming on. Peter, thank, thank you. you so much as well for listening to three teammates talk and relive the glory days. <laughs> it was like it was yesterday. <laughs> and uh, as always, you are all the best listeners in the world. Except you. And I'll see you oh. who all last week. Uh, you're right. I'm an awful listener. No, I, don't know. I, I listen mean, they know
0: who I'm talking about.
2: Oh, except person. you. You person. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, I'm a, it's true. I'm a bad listener. <laughs> <laughs> all right. As always, have a good one.
3: Bye-bye. Thank you.